When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. the center of the galaxy this is a four center podcast feed i'm ken knapsack for another edition and a big special edition of star wars rank you guys have been following the show for a while you get the concept we have a topic set in the star wars universe and me or most of the time me and a guest bring in five reasons each to support that topic well as a, a special well gift look back and look ahead we wanted to present a special rebroadcast of three of the Star Wars ranked episodes we did. In fact, they were very early on. 
on this channel. That was it was our reasons to re-watch the prequels. That includes Phantom Menace, Attack of Clones, Revenge of the Sith. And me and Joseph Scrimshaw broke them down and each brought in five reasons. We really love those episodes. We love those shows. We love those reasons because we are prequelists. So Joseph Scrimshaw, here you are now. As we present this special show, we figured there's a lot of newer listeners. Our audience has very fortunate, we're very fortunate, has grown. I think we should explain what that term hashtag prequelist means. Yeah, exactly. And you're the original one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of our origin story of doing Force Center Away. Yeah. Uh, you you had the wisdom to coin the term prequelist, which is great. But uh, yeah, we met. You were doing mm. the Jedi Alliance show at the time, and you right. invited me to come on. And I, and I just, I remember just saying, hey, can I talk about the prequels? Because I just realized... I like them a lot. I like that <laughs> era, and I think there's all these conversations about what's bad about them. We all know, but I think there's some really good stuff in there, and I think it'd be great if more fans just kind of got to appreciate the good stuff about them, and that was the first show, the first Star Wars talking we did together. It absolutely was. We had met at uh, we at uh, LA Comic-Con, Stan Lee's Comic-Con, yeah. and had mutual friends, and uh, I thought you were a great guy and a funny guy, and a Star Wars fan to boot, and I was doing Jedi Lance with Maude Garrett, but... At the time, Maude and I were going through our little journey of discovering that more fans cared about or liked, or in some cases, loved the prequels than we first thought. And, and it opened up a lot of feelings in my brain that were already there, but it was like it felt good to admit some things. That, yes, I don't like this, maybe, but I I look forward to this part of the prequel. And a lot of that stuff really was bubbling there, and you sat down, and you, you have such a great way of explaining it. It just kind of made sense. And then prequelist was born yeah yeah so i and i think prequelist you coined the term but to mm. me it has really come to mean like yes we recognize there are flaws right. but we really celebrate the great parts and a lot of times that's there are wonderful ideas even if the execution isn't exactly right you know what we would want uh that there's just so much there to enjoy and dig into and make part of the star wars journey Right, and we will be continuing to talk about the prequels. We'll probably do some more lists. We might do 10 more reasons yeah. to rewatch the prequels. There's a lot there. But now here, in one broadcast for you guys to take in, yep, it's a supersized episode of Star Wars Ranked. Here are what will end up being 30 plus some bonuses, 30 reasons to rewatch the Star Wars prequels. It's Star Wars Ranked, the top five reasons you should rewatch The Phantom Menace. Yes, it's a prequel show, and to do that, I have with me a noted prequelist, the man who convinced me to become a prequelist, our very own Joseph Scrimshaw. I am so happy to be here and prequeling with you. Absolutely. I couldn't think of a, of a better person to launch Star Wars Ranked and a better topic. Prequels, uh, the prequels still incite conversation, Joseph. Yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> They're still out there to, for people to debate and scream yeah. about. Yeah. I feel like fans have uh, started to come to terms with them, and then I'll still see like random people on Facebook who are like, oh, I like Star Wars, Yeah, but I don't listen to a podcast every month, but just still hammer, hammer, hammer at how awful they are. Right. So there's still work to be done. Right. And we feel as prequelists that the, the era of the prequels, there's some great storytelling to mind. There's some great things. And while, yes, the movies might not have been executed to our wildest dreams <laughs> and imagination, yes, there might be some things in there that cause you to cringe. There 
are, absolutely, but they exist. They won't go away, and it's not that we're mining. We're not plumbing the depths to see what what can we maybe grasp onto that, that that's there to enjoy. We think legitimately, Joseph, that there's stuff in the prequels that you can appreciate, understand, learn more about, and exactly. really add flavor to the Star Wars experience. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I tried to come up with my list of five, I really had to prune it down because I think there are a lot of things to legitimately enjoy or be interested in intrigued by as well as actual crap like <laughs> being stepped on actual crap um, that was one of it prepping for the show and you and I sending emails back and forth and hey here's a topic what do you think about this you were like oh I'd love to talk about the prequels and it should be noted guys this is going to be about Phantom Menace we're going to do, do two more down the line about Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith but you were so excited and uh, Mark Riley and I we did kind of the backdoor test pilot it was like we the, the list was a surprise okay teach person we still might do that on the show but I want to disclose to the fans we've kind of gathered our thoughts so we yeah. don't talk about the same thing over and over but you wrote back to me with exclamation points and excitement <laughs> I, I'm finding this harder than expected to, oh, cut, really? to cut things loose you were very excited about yeah. the list yeah yeah, yeah. So. They, they just I think I've thought a lot about the Phantom Menace in particular because it's the one that I had the longest time to deal with right because it was the first shock to the system of the Star Wars fan yeah yeah, I've had the, the most time I've spent with it. Absolutely. And after seeing it eight times in the theater during his first <laughs> run, I had a lot of time as well. So uh, what uh, we're going to do here, the list goes from five to one. The guests will start first. We'll alternate and we'll talk here for the next 30 minutes or so about the top five reasons you should rewatch The Phantom Menace. Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. So, Joseph, I'm going to start with you. As I said, guest goes first. Number five. Okay, here's number Number five, this should maybe be higher, but I wanted to start with one that would make people excited. And I think my number five is lightsabers. Now, most Star Wars films, indeed all of them, because of Darth Vader, have, uh, in Rogue One, have lightsabers, right? That's, right? that's easy to come by. But I think this is a very important lightsaber movie because as is going to come up in our discussion, there's a lot of uh, canon that has been filled out mm-hmm. that makes Phantom Menace more interesting to rewatch. Right. And we're, we're ranking, you know, ideas that would make you want to rewatch. Rewatch it, yeah. So we learned recently, like in the Ahsoka uh, novel, that a Jedi can enhance their lightsaber with the Force. It's mm-hmm. not just a laser stick they're swinging around, but it gets right. enhanced. Right. And as soon as I was reading about that, I was like, ah, that's what's going on when Qui-Gon is cutting through the door of the Nemodian ship. Oh, yeah. He's kind of turning it and adjusting it, and it's burning the whole door around it. It's like, oh, that's not just what would happen if Han Solo stuck a lightsaber through the door. Like, right. Qui-Gon's doing something interesting. There's some force behind that, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some force behind it. <laughs> uh, we have learned about the kyber crystal calling out. Yeah. To uh, people into that's why they they are sort of picked by the Jedi like the wands in Harry Potter or they pick the Jedi, uh, which makes a lot of the back and forth with Obi Wan losing his lightsaber right, which he later yells at Anakin about, and then mm-hmm. get using his masters right. His, he's able to successfully call his masters lightsaber to him, and right. then he uses it to defeat Maul, but he doesn't just have it in the next film, right? which I think is an interesting thing. And then, uh, I think of all of the non-traditional lightsabers, Darth Maul's double-bladed lightsaber is still, to me, 
one of the best. You can't shy away from that moment. It's <laughs> the, the, amazing. And, and I'm sure a lot of discussions about Phantom Menace go to Darth Maul and the lightsaber, yeah. the lightsaber fight. But just that first shot in that trailer, man, of that lightsaber, that second blade coming out, it was mind-blown. Mind-blowing. Mind and, it, blown. you know, cool handles, great weird blades coming out of yep. other places, whatever. Yeah. But that really affected the fighting. Just mm-hmm. the fact that it was double-bladed, it was actually changed what the fight was, right. what it looked like. Right. Uh, my final lightsaber point is this is the movie where lightsabers as we understand them come together mm. they're being used by jedi in their prime right we saw luke deflect a couple laser blasts here and there but that's not really his prime form of fighting right like jabba's sail barge but here we see this is how jedi use fully trained jedi use their lightsaber and all of the deflection tactics and all of the fun flippy little spins and Everything gets established here. And and Lucas touched upon that when people immediately said, well, how, how come the lightsaber fighting is a lot different in the prequels than the original yeah. trilogy? And he's like, hey, these are Jedi at the top of their game. These are guys who've trained. They're, they're in the academy. They're in the Jedi temple. They're, they are, at the like I said, the top of their game. They know what to do. So it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, it, it, it does go, the original trilogy, I get it. The lightsaber's not used as much, so it maybe has some more weight. You know, like, ooh, he pulled out his saber. And they're all over the place in the prequels. Yep. I understand that criticism, but again, it's, that's what I like about the prequel era. That's what would have happened at some point. When Obi-Wan hands Luke a lightsaber, it's not like, hey, here's this weapon we hung on our belts and occasionally brought out. Yeah. This was our tool. This was our thing we used to bring peace to the galaxy. It's versatile and elegant yeah. and can be used in all these different ways. We get to see it used in all these different ways. And yeah. I can articulate it in somewhat intelligently now. But I remember way back, like mm-hmm. early 2000, a friend was like, why are you still rewatching that movie? Yeah. And, you know, two or three beers in, I just got exasperated and said, it has lightsabers. <laughs> and I remember the Qui-Gon moment um, early on. First time I saw Phantom Menace, yep, I was a little right from the start, like, ooh, something's a little off. Yep. I'm not sure, you know, and I, I don't think the movie started in the best way. But when you get to that Qui-Gon moment, which emotionally I'm still recovering from the first Roger Roger, um, I will admit to that. But when he sticks the, door, the lightsaber in the door, it was it was a, oh, cool. Yeah. We're seeing they something new. They can do that. Yeah. yeah. And they start deflecting the blast. Absolutely. Yeah. So lightsabers is my number five. That's your number five. My number five is new vehicles and droids. Now, I know later on you're going to talk a little little bit about something related to design and i don't yeah. want to give yours away yours is much different than mine in that sense yours is deeper mine's just about <laughs> cool vehicles <laughs> yours um, is probably better you've got no you got the federation tanks the naboo fighters the trade federation ships themselves it's like is that a death star wrapped around a a donut of a star cruiser what is this <laughs> it's like a donut and a donut yeah. hole the pods the pod racers which are cool uh, and the destroyer droids which are, are some of my favorite things in star wars i love that they show back up in rebels because the design of them to me is very Star Wars. Yeah. We look at Rogue One, and one of the exciting things, no matter what you think about Rogue One and the character development and all these kind of things that might have gone wrong in the movie for you or might have gone right for you, one of the things we all can agree on is there's some cool new ships. The U-Wing, the TIE Striker, the ATACTs. There's a lot of things. Uh, 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 Krennic's ship is, yeah. is good. And there's a lot of things that, yeah, we don't see TIE Strikers and Empire Strikes Back. Um, the galaxy is big, and the Empire can have different weapons. Uh, and if we're we're going to give Rogue One credit. 
I want to make sure that you're going back to Phantom Menace and saying that there were some amazing designs yeah. in that in that for vehicles and and ships and droids. That Trade Federation tank to me is a very beautifully designed vehicle. It makes sense. Uh, the fact that uh, the droids say Roger, Roger, I don't hold it against the tank. <laughs> it's not the tank's fault. It's not the tank. They don't fault. say tank, tank. Yeah, tank, tank. Um, and I, I uh, the sounds that yes. scene when they when they come over the hill. Uh, and the first time, uh, I believe it was the full-length trailer, um, where over the green, lush hills of Naboo, yep. the tanks come over. I, I That's still one of my favorite moments in that trailer and, and in Star Wars because it just it just has a, ooh, we got a big battle coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you brought out the blue balls and Jar Jar kind of did stuff. I'm telling you, go back and just look at the designs of a lot of these vehicles. The Naboo Starfighters, to me, are a thing of beauty. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm off base there, Joseph. No, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so at all. And I think, you know, the design evokes different ideas. Like just watching big tanks roll over a hill has this sort of just open ground war that right. maybe maybe you can kind of compare it to Hoth. But, you, could. you know, uh, it, it, it feels more almost like a feudal. Yes, you know, well, there was something very. Uh, it was like the British Army fighting, uh, you know, native tribes in Africa or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Scottish, Scott, Scottish Rebellion, yeah, Scottish Rebellion or history or something like that. Uh, that's what the Gungans versus the Trade Federation, I think, was supposed to invoke. And so there is a sense of it's not something we had seen before. This big giant ground war. Yeah, Hoth. Notwithstanding, the Hoth was definitely, but that was not so much a war as a just all-out ambush and slaughter by the Empire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just death in the snow. Yeah. All right. So there's, that's uh, that's my number five. Yeah, I think that's great. I think the design is great. Uh, so for you, number four. Number four is the theme of duality. I have Ooh. a liberal arts degree that I spent too much on, and I have to get it out somehow. <laughs> I do it on Star Wars Podcast by talking about theme. But I do mean this. I think that... With Phantom Menace, one of the things to rewatch is you can rewatch it and you can say, I do not like this choice. That was bad dialogue. That was badly delivered dialogue. That doesn't sure. belong in Star Wars. And I can say all those things, too. Yeah. But I think when you look at things like the theme of duality mm-hmm. and how thoroughly it's incorporated into the DNA of the film, you can't look at that and say George Lucas just did a bad job. Right. He didn't do a job that we maybe that a lot of people uh liked if you're an older star wars fan in particular mm-hmm. but i think when you watch it for like that th- that reoccurring theme it's mm-hmm. clear to you like he had ideas that were very yeah. important to them and he executed them that um, true to star his vision of star wars yeah yeah he is the creator he is the creator and i just think it's like elegant and fun and it makes you think mm-hmm. a lot about like well, what is he saying about the star wars galaxy what is he saying mm-hmm. about the real world when you have that constant theme of symbiosis. Yeah. Obi-Wan literally says it about the Gungans in the Naboo, that they must see that they are a symbiote circle. They must see. Yeah. Uh, but then it's like we get introduced that we didn't have before, the idea that the Jedi have master and Padawan relationship. Correct. That's this handing down of knowledge. Mm-hmm. We realize that that is how the Sith have survived. Right. Uh, well, we get introduced to the idea that there are Sith. Uh, right. That's from right. Phantom Menace. Uh, but they also have their rule of two. Mm-hmm. And then there's the uh, weird tension of Sidious Palpatine. Right. And whether the movie is even 
trying to hide <laughs> that they are the same, but it is. But obviously, we know without a doubt yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, and we did in 1999 that they are one and the same. <laughs> uh, and you got that with Padme uh, hiding behind her handmaidens. Mm-hmm. So you really just start to get a a sense of both the positive and negative of this theme of duality Mm -hmm. that sometimes it is a mentor and a teacher and symbiosis and the cycle of life and the Namu and the Gungans should work together. That is the natural order of things. But then you also see it as deception and masking and lying Mm -hmm. via Palpatine and Sidious and even Padme and her handmaidens. Yeah, right. It's a deception all along. Uh, So I I just love... uh, I love Star Wars and I love all films for the characters, the plots, right. the, you know, the lightsabers and the cool stuff. But I also want to know on some deep level, what's it about? Yeah. And I think George himself going back to his, his early drafts and a lot of that, there's a lot of stuff in the prequels that show up, whether it be a name like Mace Windy or the Naboo. Uh, there's a lot of things that, yeah. there's a lot of the stuff was in his head and, and some of the themes he was dealing with. Yeah. I think that's some deep stuff. You you know, you, the, it, it's not just, um, you know, Palpatine and, and, uh, Insidious is a example of it being out, uh, in the not so open. Uh, but yeah, I, I was, I'm interested to, you're so right. The Jedi Padawan relationship. Yeah. Well, that's the first that we hadn't really thought about it in those terms. You know, Obi-Wan doesn't say, uh, you know, obviously for just where, what time period George was in and not, not knowing he'd eventually do the sprinkles, but you know, Obi-Wan doesn't say, Oh, I took your father as a, as my Padawan learner. I get that. <laughs> Imagine if you he know. said that in a new hope. He's like, <laughs> I have some more to explain. <laughs> your father was a very good pilot and my Padawan learner after Qui-Gon Jinn was killed. By How do you Obi-Wan. feel about braids? Little hair braids. <laughs> uh, yeah. And even the, even Qui-Gon's speech about the, the dreaded midi-chlorians. Right. That's an example of a, what is, I think, in George's mind, a, a, a beautiful symbiotic right. relationship that the midi-chlorians need us and, and force users need them. There's a lot of, a lot of teamwork. Yeah, there's a lot of teamwork. <laughs> on in and a lot of creepy people pretending to be somebody else. Right. That's the simple way to say uh, the theme of duality, and that's that, my number four. That is a good, uh, deep number four. My number four, <laughs> you mentioned Padme, and she is my number four. Oh, Padme nice. Amidala, the queen of Naboo, defender of her, her people. And look, in the in, in Attack of the Clones, and then by, by Return... Uh, Revenge of the Sith, I should say. Um, Padme was diminished as a character, and I thought the Clone Wars does a great job in, in, in adding a lot to the Padme character. Yeah. Um, and if you read some of the stuff, some of that might have had to do with Natalie Portman and her onset behavior, but that that's, you know, set gossip and everything. But it, uh, it makes some sense because uh, Sith, that's the one thing, even though I do think it's the best one and everyone can say that it's the best of the prequels, Sith doesn't fulfill, to me, the, the character of Padme as much as I'd like. I, yeah. I, I wanted her ending... Have her die in childbirth, fine. Change the mythos a little bit and why Leia remembers her, we don't really know. And maybe that answer will come more clear in other supplemental material. But I would have... I, you could have. I, I, I don't want to say you want. I wanted to see Padme beaten up and bloody, but the, the fact that her heart just died, or she because she just yeah, uh, we don't know. know. It's a little too wishy washy. It was too wishy washy. You know, I just wish it was more of a choice because go going back to Phantom Menace, this is a very strong key character to the Star Wars stories. It, it would make sense that she is, um, you know, the, the 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 mother of Leia yeah. and, and Luke as well. But he's definitely his father's son. I think a little bit more. But Leia. We give a lot of credit to this this character as it should, and for what Carrie Fisher brought to it, blah blah blah. But as the character plays out in books and Bloodline, like if you read Bloodline, 
That, to me, is Amidala's daughter, for sure. So yeah. Padme's daughter, very much in bloodline. The, of course, uh, Padme's daughter would be General Leia. It just makes sense. Yeah. And you go back to Phantom Menace, there's something that's so strong. Everything she's doing, she's, what, 14, 15, uh, the character's supposed to be in the movie. And just all the lines, and some of it, you know, sticks with me even still. You know, I will not watch my people suffer. It's, they're kind of funny lines. Yeah. Um, um, but... Everything was done for the benefit of her people, uh, as as a good leader should, and she was in the field of action. and And in 1999, we give correct credit to the character of Jin Erso and the character of Ray being at the forefront. But there's a lot to be said for that. The Phantom Menace at the forefront was a 14 year old girl who had the weight of her planet, her weight of her people on her. Yeah, and I think that's a key thing to go back and, and study a little more and give it give it credit. You know, yeah, I will maybe talk about this a little bit uh, later about that question of who is the protagonist of the Phantom Menace. And I've never really thought about it this way, but in a lot of ways it is Padme because she is making the choices. She is the one who is responsible for making the choices. Right. It's her planet that she's the ruler of that is in danger. She takes the Jedi advice. A lot of times she doesn't want to take the Jedi advice. Right. Stands up to Jedi at one point, even though she, you know, Qui-Gon gets his way. Yeah, Qui-Gon gets his way. Mm -hmm. But like, and she's the one who ultimately comes up with the plan that actually solves things to go to the Gungans for help and she comes up with plenty of the actual like here's how we're going to do it and she runs around does the shooting and she takes and is often happens in Star Wars it is the story of the Jedi and the Skywalker clan Mm -hmm. and as often the actual plot Mm -hmm. is resolved by Padme's plan and actions yeah and then some Jedi and Sith just fight (laughs) in a power generator area like always yeah and then get credit for like you are changing the (laughs) game you Fought in a power generator again while Padme did the actual things. Uh, Padme was the one. Now, Viceroy, we'll discuss a new treaty. <laughs> That's right. One of my favorite bad lines from the movie. <laughs> yeah, she is a woman of action. And in Attack of the Clones, she's very much in there again. And I, and we can talk about clones in another episode. Um, uh, she's she's very present in clones as well, very key in clones. But I think I think Phantom Menace does just a a better job. Yeah. There's no uh, no no creature rips her clothes in half and, and gives her a halter top while she's fighting. Exactly. Um, she's just in the in the in the theater of action. She's up front center doing it for a cause greater than herself, yeah. which to me is something that Leia carried on as well. So that's my number four, awesome. Padme Amidala. That's a great number four. Uh, my number three is a little bit related to my lightsabers, but just general canon review. We have had so much canon uh, that gets filled in and even more coming all the time that it's just fun, even if you're like, I don't really like this movie, mm-hmm. but to go back and see what does what extra text do you add? Mm-hmm. So it's, it wouldn't even be that maybe maybe you watch it and you don't enjoy the movie mm-hmm. itself, but what avenues or doors of thought are opened up based on the new canon now looking back at the movie. So we now know a lot more about the droid army, yeah. that they were made by the Geonosians to look like Geonosians, <laughs> that they were meant to kind of overpower, that they were this sort of new thing, that this is... Um, this very strange military move made by a private company right. that actually has designs in the long run to maybe finance uh, separating from the Senate because right. they don't the Senate's not making them enough money. Right. And so you can you, you fill all that stuff in and it starts to make all the droids more interesting. We know uh, Sidious's whole plan. You know, you the first time you saw Phantom Menace, you when he's saying he's going to be very interested in watching Anakin's career, you don't know, like... Wink. <laughs> did he maybe make him through the Force? Maybe? Right. We don't know. Right. Is this, like, has he just been waiting for 
this creature that he possibly made through the force. Right. Now, I know that was covered in Darth Plagueis, but that's now a legend, so it's still open for interpretation. We just have what he said in Revenge of the Sith to go on. So you you can play with those relationships. Uh, We know all of the various galactic politics, not even from the prequel area, Mm -hmm. but now going forward to what we got introduced to in Rogue One. We have got introduced to in Bloodline in The Force Awakens, and as the story of Star Wars continues and continues, as we've talked about on other episodes, mm-hmm. Force Center episodes, you can't separate politics from wars. No. And it's Star Wars, and you need star politics for Star <laughs> Wars. People, uh, you know, bashed Phantom Menace for being too political, but we now have come around to bashing Force Awakens for not showing not the politics, me. so we didn't know <laughs> we were lost a Why little bit. Why did the balcony <laughs> people die? Were they 24-hour party people? What planet is that? What's going on? In Phantom Menace, you get to know, and, right. you know, George and all of the other writers who have taken up uh, after him have opinions about politics in right. real-world reflections of politics uh, in Star Wars, and this is the, the birthplace of them. Right. You know, you put your, your mind, that's what's going on in the Senate. It makes the Senate scenes much more interesting. Uh, you know, we know even more about Anakin's arc now. We know more about Darth Maul's future. All of those little, uh, not little, kind of big things in Star yeah. Wars mythos that uber Star Wars nerds like to climb into the bubble. So much of it is more, yeah. uh, so much Phantom Menace is richer when you think about that stuff. Yeah, and sometimes uh, we talk about the expectation of new or our own expectations of things. And so George answered a lot of questions that we've been asking for a long time. Yeah. And that, I think, lent, lent itself to being just, you know, disappointing to the rest of us because well that's not what i thought but i it, it's probably what george thought for a long time yeah. and so when tarkin talks about you know the imperial senate's been wiped away i'm, t- I'm like tarkin's like mr burns <laughs> smithers wipe out the imperial senate release the vader release the vader um now that we know what that meant i get a visual image of a bunch of people in these little flying saucers going what we're done yeah <laughs> what's going on they're interrupting each other and they've let a company uh, the yeah. trade federation is just a giant company, and they've let a company have right. a seat in the Senate, a floating disc ball in the Senate. Right. This would be it. it we're, yeah, we're coming fast to that, I yeah. think. <laughs> um, yeah, this would be like if Enron had its own army 10 yeah. years ago. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the expansion of the of the canon and, and the creation of, the, of, of a new level of canon, because the expanded universe was definitely already in play, but George, I just like that George was like, no, this is what this is what happened. Actually, it's always been about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been uh, studying up for a, a video on Star Wars canon for my job, and and uh, reading some interviews. Where George was like, well, you know, there's uh, my version of Star Wars and whatever everyone else said. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and I, I like that they had to create level G for canon, which is anything George said is real. You know? Wow, that's and, amazing. Uh, and and it, I think a lot of that starts with Phantom Menace. Yeah, you're yeah. right there. Uh, that's a good number three. My number three is the maturation of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ooh. I love that Obi-Wan Kenobi starts this movie as a Padawan learner. Yeah. He is in the final stage. He's senior year. <laughs> Maybe fifth year senior. He seems yeah. a little old. A little like old he, to be a Padawan. He's being still. held back a bit. Yeah. Qui-Gon is uh, there. But he starts, you know, clearly starts the movie as a toe-in-the-line Padawan who wants to ace all his tests. And not only is he just getting lessons from Qui-Gon, but, you know, he fights Qui-Gon on things. Uh 
uh, he doesn't accept Anakin at all. No. Uh, does not want him to be here. They picked up some garbage trash, according to Obi-Wan. <laughs> you know, what are, we, what are we doing here? Another pathetic life form, yeah. Exactly. And and uh, even then, the council's kind of like, yeah, Qui-Gon, you're crazy, man. We've always known you're crazy. You hung out with Dooku and Quinlan Voss and Sifo-Dyas. You're crazy, man. <laughs> all right? And Obi-Wan sees that. And then, in a blink of an eye, his, his master is taken, and Obi-Wan, uh, you know, by then is ready. He's starting to f- learn to fight, but I think in, in that moment, be takes on the mantle that Qui-Gon put aside. Yeah. And, you know, we talk, hey, Obi-Wan's not a great Jedi at all to me. He's always been a good Jedi. He is He's the always, Jedi, He yeah. is the Jedi. Um, but that led him to just kind of uh, doing a lot of things on his own uh, and, and being on own missions and the Camino stuff. Everything's just kind of him kind of working his way around the galaxy. And, and I think that starts in Phantom Menace. That it, 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 Obi-Wan is such a favorite character of ours. Yeah. Um, that it really, really starts and starts well in the Phantom Menace. And I think if you go back and see that arc, it is uh, it is the Obi-Wan that we come to know and love. Yeah, I love Maturing. that idea. I yeah. love that idea that he that you can see him as, not that he isn't taking a Jedi being very seriously, but mm. they go and they handle trade disputes. Right. And then here is a situation where he is forced with what maybe Qui-Gon has seen, but he hasn't, which is the reality of the right. galaxy instead of the theory of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. He faces this horrible Sith threat. His, uh, his mentor dies, and then he has to make a choice. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't theoretical. I can let this kid go just float around the galaxy, or mm-hmm. I can... Do right. do the thing, the non-traditional thing that maybe I shouldn't, mm-hmm. that Qui-Gon always was for, but it's not a theoretical thing now. It's yeah. real, and it's my choice and my choice alone. Do right. I take the kid on? And he, yeah, then he becomes more like his master. That's yeah. a great point. And you could argue that, hey, if he had left Obi-Anakin uh, out the out in the desert there by himself, we, we wouldn't have had Darth Vader and everything. But then I think the Sith would have still found a way to rise. And I believe that the path to the destruction of the Sith goes through Obi-Wan. That's what we're seeing with Rebels. Yep. And it came to that moment where he was like, I'm going to continue my master's work. Yeah. It was Qui-Gon's vision. So when he's on there at the desert hiding and watching Luke, that is an extension of what he learned from Qui-Gon. To yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's so. awesome. Number three uh, on my list, that, that that's that, maturation of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Number two for you. My number two. I should never start a sentence like that. The second <laughs> thing on my list of five is, we touched on a little bit, uh, the design in general. You said uh, robots and uh, vehicles, and uh, we, we touched on a little bit. I'm going to say really specifically the design. If right. you want a specific reason to rewatch The Phantom Menace, you should do it if you like circles orbs and other <laughs> organic shapes the design is amazing yeah it didn't look like star wars to us what we imagined star wars and a lot of us got upset it didn't look like right. that lived in universe mm-hmm. which was a, a choice that george made because he wanted to show a time where the galaxy was in better repair and you can get into your well i'm gonna push my glasses or my contacts up and mm-hmm. say well, but it's only been 19 years and like whatever that's totally fine and totally valid but this is such cool thorough thoughtful mm-hmm. design that everything is rounded mm-hmm. and organic in a movie called the phantom menace right. so it feels like just aesthetically everything's soft and has no edges right. no dirt everything must be okay yeah because the menace is phantom right now we don't see it. yeah it just when, when i start trying to think of everything that is vaguely circular Mm-hmm. Like the Naboo ships are obviously they're super smooth, but like the Senate, the whole Senate is 
circular. Yeah. All the all the little Senate flying seats are circular. Jedi Council chamber. Uh, most of the pod racing equipment is very focused mm-hmm. on the circular. Right. All of Oda Gunga is mm-hmm. this nice circular like circular bubbles. And, yeah, I mean it's. I like all of the design, but I think the specific fact that everything has that uh, almost subliminal message mm-hmm. that things are okay. Don't yeah. worry about it. And actually, there's a lot to worry about, but don't worry about it. It's all soft. Calm down. No now. hard edges in the yeah. galaxy. Yeah. I think, yeah, what you talk about, and you still see people, I, I see Pablo Hidalgo tweet about it still, too. It was like the look of, say, an X-Wing and uh, the ships and A New Hope. And it's like, go go to 1976, the year I was born, and pick up a, a, a AMC Pacer from that era and go to a 68 Mustang, man, just a few yeah. years early. It seems like a different era. Yeah. Things can change that quick, and I think you're absolutely right. That was a, a more civilized time, and it changed on a dime. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 19 years, how did Obi-Wan? And Owen and, and Baru aged so much. Twin sons, I guess. How did everyone forget about the Jedi? I guess they took the the Empire took the words out of the books. I get yeah. it. I get that nineteen <laughs> year gap being a little problematic for some of the bigger questions. Yeah. But I think it switched on such a dime, and it and it became a hard edged Empire, literally. Yeah. And figuratively. And I think it gets uh, less soft immediately in Attack of the Clones once we start to get into war, yeah. and certainly by Revenge of the Sith, once the galaxy has been at war, things aren't as soft or not anymore right. and right. everything is getting torn apart and there's there's that 10-year gap uh, between clones and phantom menace where a lot a lot has changed yeah you know, a lot there, of there's a lot in that 10 years yet to be explored in official canon i think yeah yeah so that is my second my it's number two second if you will if you will my second of five <laughs> on my list is uh it's kind of similar we we synced up i made my yeah. list and look at your i looked at your list made mine and then this kind of you know, full disclosure popped in, and I just did. I, w- I was going to move this around, but I think it ties into okay, yours cool. too. It's it's a picture of the galaxy before it all changed. Now you're talking literally with the shapes and what it meant, and that's a very intelligent view of it. Uh, mine's a little more simpler. Uh, no, but it's uh, what I like about uh, aftermath. Chuck Wendig's book, um, um, the first one, the second one's I think the better of the book so far, but the first one does to me a great job of painting the galaxy uh, what it looks like ah. moment after yeah. the Empire has fallen. Yeah. Not just for our superstar celebrity heroes. They're dancing with Ewoks, but what's going on in the rest of the galaxy? There's a lot of people who are not sure about this, and and they've lost their leadership, and that might be tough, and how do we reform, and all those kind of questions, and it's a little chaotic. Yeah. And that's what I liked about Aftermath. Um, on that same token, what I like about The Phantom Menace is you see life on Naboo, which is pretty and idyllic, but yet people... Bad things are happening. There's this blockade, and the Senate people are like, "No, nah, no, nah, we're good, man. We'll send we'll send some Jedi to investigate Chancellor Valorum, who's probably on the take anyways. Um, you know, he's gonna. We put our trust in him, even though he's yeah. an ineffectual leader. I um, mean, life on Tatooine and how they're so far removed, and the pod races. And I love the Moss Espa stuff versus the Moss Eisley stuff because Espa's bigger, and it's more of just how the world functioned. There was still slavery in the galaxy. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. And, and 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 people are in their own bubbles. And literally, with you mentioned Oda Gunga, <laughs> they're in their own bubbles literally. and want nothing to do with the, the Naboo. Yeah. And there's something uh, certainly clumsy about that speech. Qui-Gon and Obi, Obi-Wan are given to Boss Nass and everybody. But there's something very true about it. They're like, the world's changing. Yeah. You, this is like Hobbiton. 
You know, there's there's a lot of weird shapes and people moving through the plains and wars are coming. Yeah. And you want to sit and drink your uh, your beer over here in Hobbiton and have a, have some kind of party all the time. And I think there's a lot of that going on in Phantom Menace. And you get a view of what the galaxy was before because there's this big, giant gap. And I don't think it's that's what I liked about the Plagueis book is it showed, a, a, you know, Padme being elected and all that, how that yeah. kind of stuff happened. So there's Old Republic, which is now thousands of years. And we might get those stories eventually yeah. officially in canon. I love the Bane book, all that kind of stuff by Drew Carpetian. Read it if you have, and it's good. But there's this thousand years gap between it where the galaxy's just kind of floating along doing its thing. Yep. Ups and downs, good and bad. Ups and downs. All right. The Trade Federation's stopping people on the boog from getting stuff. Whatever. We'll vote on some other stuff. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Palpatine comes in. And I just like getting that picture of the galaxy before it all went to hell. It was a big, giant, comforting circle, as you pointed yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. You get that snapshot of what it is. And I think maybe that's a, a particular issue, too, of like the original trilogy has certainly has ups and downs, but right. it it retains a little bit of fairy tale. Right. And I think George Lucas was always interested in reality and Phantom Menace really does slap you into reality of the Jedi are keeping peace and order, but they're kind of cold and distant and weird. And the Senate is keeping peace and it's a functioning government, but Oh, they allow corporate influence and they're real slow to do things. And like, it's a, it's a picture of a real place yeah. that has good things and bad things and fresh things and stale things. And right. I, I think that snapshot you're talking about is like, yeah, it's That's a perfect way it to is. describe it. And, uh, and, and the Jedi, uh, you know, needing, oh, we're going to have to fight a war now. We're going to be generals, which a lot of Jedi didn't think they should have been. You no. know, I like that. I'm going to go next with my number one because I want to close on your number one because okay. I like yours. I think it's a good ending. And, and my number one is, is similar. This is, again, my number one reason I think you should rewatch Phantom Menace, and it is the rise of Palpatine. Nice. There, there is um, an argument to say that all six of the movies are about Anakin. Uh, it's definitely about the Skywalker clan, and mm-hmm. it definitely is about Luke maybe redeeming his father in the last three. You can make those kind of story arguments and everything. But there's... Absolutely, those first three movies are about the rise of the most evil man in the galaxy. Because you grew up at one point thinking Vader was the biggest, baddest man in the galaxy and the most evil man in the galaxy. But no, he was conflicted, and that story unfolded. But Palpatine is, you and I, uh, you and I, we love that character. Yes, we do. It's one of Christian Harloff's favorite characters. A lot of people love Palpatine. And call him Sheev or not, I don't care. Um, (laughs) But it all begins here when you realize at some point that he is the Phantom Menace. Yeah. And I didn't like that title the first time, like a lot of things. What's the ass, a stupid title, Phantom Menace? (laughs) I actually... It's one of my favorite titles, and it and it captures the story so well. We've set this galaxy of comforting circles and spheres. Everyone's in their own bubble, and in comes this dark, dark person who's disguised out in the open as a nice uh, aging man in, in puffy collars. Yeah. And he's just a simple politician. Cartoon of a politician. I'm yeah. so happy to have been elected. Uh, Surprise, to be sure. Oh, yes. Bail and Tilly's is uh, <laughs> going against me. Um, so to watch him, uh, I love the payoff in Sith. I I, I think the, the arc of Palpatine and how it worked and, and how he, he played both sides. You talked about the duality. That factors into this here. And, and uh, seeing Yoda in action might not have been fulfilling for some people. Yeah. 
seen Palpatine in action other than Ian McDiarmid's not the best stage fighter. <laughs> just say that. Yep. But to see the Emperor in action and realize he was Sith, baby. He was dark. He had powers. Yeah. And um, I, I just like to see see that rise. And it starts in Phantom Menace, and you see it unfold. And you talk about Star Wars needing some of those politics. Him working the strings. Yep. From both sides of the coin, starting a war against himself. Yeah. Is believable to me. It's it's uh, something I think George executed very well in all three movies, and, and it starts with Phantom Menace. I totally agree with your number one. Yeah. Uh, my number one, the number one reason for me that you should rewatch the Phantom Menace is if you are the kind of person who thinks modern big budget movies are too safe or formulaic. You should enjoy the hell out of The Phantom Menace because good, bad, or otherwise, it is insanity. It does not have, as has been pointed out again and again, Red Letter Media was the one who kind of yeah. cracked the door open on like, no, let's let's put on our screenwriter's hats. I just read Save the Cat, yeah. the, the Hollywood screenwriting book, yeah. and it doesn't work. The, right. the act breaks aren't in the right places. There's not a clear protagonist. Motivations are wonky. This is a film made by a strange old man doing yeah. what he Wanted, And I think as we've illustrated, you can't say he just did a bad job because he knew exactly what he was doing. He was making all of these choices. If you don't agree with him that he made the choice to make a strange, floppy, vaguely Jamaican creature have Mike Myers from Saturday Night Live jokes saying, excuse me, that's fine. I don't like that. But he made that choice, not right. arbitrarily, not in front of a focus group, not even to sell a toy, I don't think. No. He just made this big, strange mess of a movie yeah. by any like traditional storytelling standards. It's a weird, weird movie. And that is my number one reason that I think it's worth rewatching. And what I get out of it again and again is to just... Marvel at it. Eventually, you do just feel like you are being like an auteur should be. Like yeah. you are, be, you are, you are in there. You're not just watching their story. You've been welcomed into their weird world. Yeah. In Phantom Menace, when you're sitting there watching that, good, bad, or otherwise, you are just like sitting in a little corner of George Lucas's brain. Yeah. And if you do, you think Marvel is like, oh, that's filmed by committee. If you think Star Wars is going in that uh, direction, well, Phantom Menace is the antidote to that. <laughs> It absolutely is, and, and that is a, a great point, and it's it's just so true. And, yep, there's some crazy things there, and you watch that documentary, and sometimes you wish Rick McCallum said no. No, George, don't. Um, but George was a man who started out just wanting to either race cars fast or make his weird little independent stories, the stories he wanted to tell. This is a man that Apocalypse Now could have been his if yeah. things had worked out a little differently. And uh, this is a guy who's, like, retired but probably making weird movies in his basement right now <laughs> that we might never see. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. Starting with Phantom Menace, it is the story that I think he intended to tell eventually, if at all. He might, you know, I could see a storyline where he just never made these movies. Yeah. But if you go back and read the early, early drafts, there's stuff in there, not just the names of Mace Windy. I love that. And I love that that pops up in the original draft. Um, not envisioned to be Samuel L. Jackson, certainly <laughs> at that point. Um, it, it, these are his movies, his stories. And it makes me... 
I'm I'm happy the way things have gone. Yeah. But it makes me just want so much to see what episode seven might have been. Yeah. If they had gone with his vision. I think we'll know someday. I think we will too. And I think it'll be really weird. It will be weird. And it's a it's from a bygone era. Yeah. Ryan Johnson, there's hope that he will do with eight that he what he wants. But I still think there's obviously it's tied into big picture stuff. It's tied mm-hmm. into a lot of oversight. And though they might say, Hey, go at it. Let let you do it. I think JJ had a lot. He drove the bus for sure. Yep. Um, but without a doubt, decisions are made in boardrooms. That's the way it is. I'm not saying that as a negative because yeah. I enjoyed these movies. But yep, George, he's an independent filmmaker at heart, and that's what he did with yeah. the Phantom Menace. Exactly. Before we present the top five reasons to rewatch The Attack of the Clones, I will say, yeah, we understand the movie's much maligned. The movie's maybe not perfectly executed. Yep, <laughs> left a lot to be desired, but we definitely believe the prequel era and the Star Wars stories that are contained within them are worth something. Yeah. Not a lot, Joseph. Absolutely. I think uh, we always talk about the ideas being great and the execution being problematic. I think that is the biggest uh, example of that is Attack of the Clones, yeah. which to me only makes it a little bit more fascinating. But because I think there's that big, loud, oh, what happened with the romance between Anakin and Padme, Right. it can be harder to appreciate the other things. And, you know, I love this movie. It, there, there's a, there's things to love. Yeah. This is the top five reasons to rewatch the Attack of the Clones Star Wars Episode 2. Joseph, I will let you begin with oh. number five. Excellent. Uh, number five, I, I wanted to start with a, a way to sort of contextualize how I enjoy mm-hmm. Attack of the Clones. So I went mm-hmm. big picture. Number five is the theme of attachments. Good. So, we dark. talked to yeah, it's dark, right? It's dark. Is it dark? I I feel attachments dark. You probably don't. <laughs> well, we understand. We can we can do a top five relationship uh, concerns because uh, I certainly have them myself too. Uh, but attachments. So I I think you know just like I was saying, Anakin and Padme, their relationship is not well executed. It is unclear whether Anakin is trying to be creepy or not. Right. The whole story, which was, I think, a shock to a lot of old school Star Wars fans system Mm. that attachment was forbidden with the Jedi. So I think when people hear attachment, they think, oh, just that that not well executed romance. Right. But when you think about the movie, so much of it is about attachment because it's Mm. not just the romance between Anakin and Padme. It is the, uh, I think, better executed story of Anakin's attachment to his mother. Yeah. And was that right of the Jedi to go like, well, we know your mom's a slave, but just forget about it for 10 years. <laughs> Are you having bad dreams about your mom dying? Well, it happens, Sorry. kid. Yeah. yeah. Like, there, there's, like, moral question of, like, right. Jedi, what are you up to there? Yeah. While also preaching not attachment. Uh, looking at it through the lens of attachment also makes the strange uh, backstory of Boba Fett more intriguing. Because mm. here's okay. Jango Fett. A Mandalorian in theory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's creating all these clones, and then he wants an unaltered clone of himself to be his son. That's like this weird right. form of attachment. Why does this guy need this? Why does this guy want this? Why can't right. he just be a lonely, cool bounty hunter? Like, that's an interesting story. A lonely, cool bounty hunter is like, but I want a little me. <laughs> a little me. A little me. Uh, then we get, we get, like, Obi-Wan and Dexter hanging out, so we get a sense of Obi-Wan kind of has friends. They're not right. attachments, but he has friends. Uh, even the relationship between Palpatine and Anakin is kind of about attachment, how we get to mm. see how Palpatine has, 
got his way into Anakin's heart by telling him that he's the best and is trying to create this emotional bond because that will pay off eventually. Sorry, just have the vision of going, you're the best. <laughs> I truly believe you will become the most awesome Jedi. <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, all of the relationship between the Jedi because yes. they claim that they should yeah. not have attachments, but then there's a big effort to rescue Obi-Wan and Anakin. Mm. Like, yeah. you could accuse Yoda of being a hypocrite and saying, like, well, war isn't good. It's too bad that Obi-Wan and Anakin bumbled into this and they're going to die. Right. But let them, because we otherwise we're going to start a war. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. This is, this, is, this is deeper than I thought. <laughs> I'm glad we're starting off. I'm glad you said that. I almost put on my list, like, if I, if I, if I had a sick, uh, sick, you're sick, sorry. Right, yeah, there's um, a little cough. Uh, we've been, I was sick the last kind of round of broadcasts of a lot of my shows, and now you're sick. So, uh, but we didn't catch the same cold. You it wasn't because of an, an you, attachment. Yeah, it wasn't an attachment. <laughs> you were in another country. Um, I almost put uh, maybe number six on my list would have been, like, Setting up the fall of of Anakin and turning to Vader, yeah, really good. And you touched upon it there, where yeah, we can jump ahead to Sith and say that one of the big things is, and I understand it is, is Anakin turns so fast, yeah, he just drops to his knees real quick and yes, Master. Um, but that was building up. It was building up even in Phantom Menace. He's yeah. a grumpy little kid. He's kind of already angry. Kind of realizes you brought me here and now you don't want me. Yeah, the Jedi are cold and mean. Yeah, cold and mean, cold sir. Um, and then in this one. And yeah, you're you're right. The way you state it is very very interesting, and it's why it's important to maybe rewatch it with that that little goggle attachment goggle on, because he's very clearly got some issues and has ten years of of where's my mommy um, yeah. trying to learn. But hey, now I'm getting these dreams because Padme says you're having the dreams again. Yeah, this isn't new. This is this has been carried on just within the course of the movie, but clearly he's been having them and. That would piss someone off. Yeah, and the I think a story that is well told between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith is, uh, between the two of them together, is he has the power to rescue her yeah. really easily. Right. Which he uses when he slaughters all of the Tusken Raiders. Like, <laughs> right. But just that idea of, like, my mom did not have to die. Right. Is a great companion piece to why he does fall mm-hmm. and, like, Padme must not die. Yeah. And it shows, it shows when you, you know, I, I respect where the Jedi's come from, and you got to take a, a little two-year-old Padawan in, in training or a Padawan to be from their family, and I get it. Um, but it there's there's an erosion to it as the Jedi move forward of, of you know, hey, let a, let, a, let Obi-Wan and Satine date, and maybe the Jedi Order works out a little better. I'm yeah. just paraphrasing, making it simple, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's this attachment to a old, old code that might have led to their downfall. Yeah, with a lot of little weird rules that maybe Yoda and Mace Windu mm-hmm. understand, but right. to somebody else, it just comes off as some weird rule, right. rule that Yoda's made up of, like, say not as I do, do <laughs> as I say not. They're like, what are you talking about, Yoda? Yeah, what do you mean? Like, come on, Yoda, you didn't, you didn't, have, you and Yaddle. Yeah, you and Yaddle. <laughs> you it's okay Yaddle. for you to rescue me and let Count Dooku get away, but I can't yeah. go rescue my mom. So deep themes uh, of attachment all around. Yeah. I actually, I, I like that scene on the ship where I quote a lot of attachment is forbid. You know, it's actually, to me, one of the better scenes between yeah, them. It absolutely. shows some interesting stuff. 
Uh, so that's your number five. Yeah, that's my number five. Mine is not as deep. My number five, <laughs> I have to put it because if you if you followed me for a while on the Star Wars media discussion world, this is uh, this is uh, this is a uh, this is a big one for me. It's huge. Attack of the Clones gave me my favorite Star Wars sound effect, which is the seismic charges from the Slave One ship driven by Jango Fett, co-piloted. By Boba, uh, as they try to take down Obi-Wan Kenobi outside Geonosis. I'm telling you, from the moment of theater to the moment now, I, Attack of the Clones, sometimes you probably do this. You put the prequels on in the background. You start doing your chores. <laughs> you're dusting. You're, you're folding laundry. I, I don't do that. You sit and watch them? I watch them sensibly, but that's me. And that's probably why you have a deeper theme and deeper answer. It's because I have a problem. Yeah, that too. No, I kid. Um... I'll do that and just have them on yeah. and tune in and out. The seismic charges scene. Oh, you drop your laundry. I drop my laundry. <laughs> Underwear all over the ground, and I just sit there and watch it. And for me, it's one of the most Star Wars things in the prequels. It's yeah. that seismic charge, that little the flash, and then the... Now, is it the... Which is a great, unique sound, or is it the huge success of that total dropout of sound right before it boings? It is. Have I? Have I? I'm probably. I'm having. I think we've talked about this. The Bob. The Bob Rock pause. Have I talked about the Bob (laughs) Rock pause? That's what it is. Yeah. It is Bob Rock, the famous rock producer, who would. One of his trademarks was the pause right before the chorus the last time. Semisonic's closing time is a great example of a Bob Rock pause. That yes. Yeah. That it is. It is a two part success (laughs) for the seismic charge, and it is to me literally my favorite Star Wars sound. Tie fighters. I love them. Biker scouts. Yeah. I love the speeder bikes racing through the forest. Lightsabers igniting is a great sound, but there's something about that that puts me in the universe, and I love it, and I watch it every time. Yeah, I think there's a, a ton of good sound design where you can see, like, okay, well, Ben Ben Bird is back in the saddle, and he wants to create some new things, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most successful and most distinctive. Yeah. One of the, uh, I think it was Star Wars Rogue Leader, which was not as good of a video game, mm-hmm. but you could get the Jedi Starfighter. Ah. It was left behind by Obi-Wan, oh, damn and I, it, it wasn't even that great of a ship, but I used it, so I could get the seismic charge sound effect wow. on my television at home. I gotta, I gotta play that. <laughs> I, I'm surprised I haven't made that into like a text tone. I probably should. <laughs> It'll be a weird text tone. Be like, I think I hear a little bit of a noise. No, nope, it's nothing. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most important text ever. Blast! This is why I hate flying. <laughs> so that's my number five seismic charges. Just nice. as number four on your list. My number four is Lore of the Jedi, which Ooh. you know I'm sure an EU yeah. book that I don't remember. But <laughs> we learned so much about the Jedi or not even learn but get to see mm-hmm. uh, like everyday Jedi because yeah. we get to see the library yeah we see Jocasta new so we see a little bit of like their system of organization how do right. they collect logic uh, knowledge why do they need that big of a temple uh, yeah. and we only just we just see them we just really see the council room mm-hmm. in Phantom Menace so we get to see yeah. the library we get to see Yoda training all the little younglings Yep, which is I think a really fun scene. Uh, we get to, in that scene, we get to see Yoda being a little bit more mirthful. Yep, uh, which is nice. Uh, it, Mirth, mirthful Yoda is a good thing. Mirthful Yoda is good, and he, we don't get a lot of it in the prequels. And and here we get and it, truly wonderful as the mind of a child. Um, and it, it's also a little that scene is also a little bit of a patch if you have a continuity issue with I should have let Yoda train him because yes. maybe. It gives a sense that all younglings pass through Yoda. Pass through Yoda, yes. 
to get moved on and, and Anakin just skipped right to Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and didn't get that sweet Yoda time that would have saved the it's galaxy. Like, yeah, it's like Jedi 101. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. the absolute basics of how to be a Jedi. <laughs> Introductory. Don't yeah. kill younglings. Yeah. I think you learn in that one. Uh, and then, of course, just seeing all of them fighting in the arena. Hmm. I think... Yeah. Uh, it is not as amazing as I think people had managed to make up in their mind. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember I have a friend who always goes into the internet and he steals scripts. I think they're better protected <laughs> than they were back in 2002. But he's like, I got the script and I, I can show it to you. He's like, no. He's like, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to see exactly what you want. Right. There's going to be a lot of Jedi. Because like when Phantom Menace came out, one of the things people mo- were most excited about was like a bunch of Jedi running around. Like, yeah. oh no, it's a bunch of Jedi judging a child. Yeah. So talking things out. Yeah. So we were excited to see them in action, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe it didn't live up to the excitement that people expected. Yeah. But when I go back and rewatch it, I really enjoy seeing all of the different Jedi, and uh, and you know their different moves. Yeah, because you know. Yeah, I, I was coming out of Phantom Menace, seeing it eight times in the theater, and was disappointed, and blah, 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 and my heart broken, and eh, childhood ruined after I thought about it, and whatever. I got over that. But when the trailer came out for Attack of the Clones, and there's that final shot, and then that one trailer of the Jedi surrounded by the droids, and yeah. now we know the Geonosians, and their blades out, nerd chills for days, man. Yeah. That was a great moment. I was like, oh, and I turned to my friend Casey Alexander, who was my roommate at the time, I was like, we're getting, the Jedi are fighting, man! They're gonna run around with lightsabers, yeah. they're gonna cut everything apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got Coleman Trabor getting yeah. shot down by Django. We get uh, Django's head taken off by Mace Windu. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just uh, a lot of great um, Jedi lore. We also get that great through line of who's who's Padawan. Yes. Which was just great Star Wars information. So we've been introduced the idea of Padawan, but then we learn that, oh, well, Qui-Gon was actually Count Dooku's Padawan and Count Dooku was Yoda's Padawan. Right. And that gives you a lot more to think about going back to that theme of attachment yeah. of... What parts of their doctrine and their beliefs did they get from one another, and what parts did they go rogue? In that great scene of yeah. Count Dooku trying to suggest to Obi Wan that well, Qui Gon, he's he's a maverick. He would have been with me. Yeah. Qui Gon, yeah, yeah, he liked it. So it yeah. fleshes out all of the Jedi yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, from from their buildings to what they look like all fighting together to what their relationships are with one another, all that. And 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 you know, like I said, the the, the lore, the Jedi, like we. The old Republic at the time was still going strong in novels and games and all that kind of stuff, and it still technically is. And 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 I I agree with this notion. I saw Pablo Hidalgo tweet the other day that just reminder: canon doesn't mean you know, things could still pop up. It doesn't mean yeah, things aren't not in a story right not now. Not in a story right now. And so I still believe you're going to get a lot of old Republic stuff. But for now, the prequels and some of that kind of stuff fills that need. Yeah, you know, Jocasta knew talking about you know you got the the statues or I think the holograms statues of the, like the fallen Jedi yeah. basically like that's interesting stuff and it all kind of starts there it's our first time seeing it knowing that George had that in his mind it was putting it on screen yeah and I think we a lot of people assumed and then this, this is again from the older fan perspective assumed that Jedi were more like uh, wanderers who they found a, right. a force sensitive person when they were 28 and like hey, shoot I'll, right. I'll decide I'll train them I'll take them on. you know yeah. we, we yeah. got that idea in our head somewhere George Lucas had a very different idea and it's really well fleshed out that it's this monk-like order that has right. rules and homes and weird little bedrooms and all <laughs> that. And a library. <laughs> and, and 
All that stuff. Probably have a rec room. <laughs> a Jedi rec room. And I, when you mentioned Jocasta New, I was like, I still think at some point, you know, I picture her as a young, virile Jedi. You oh, know? yeah. And at some point she was like, can I transfer to the library? Yeah. I, I think I want, I, I'm interested in that. <laughs> That's a great number four. Um, my number four is Life on Coruscant. Ooh. The bar, the travel, Dex's diner, all that good stuff. In, in reviewing in my mind, what did I like about the movie now? And what did I like when I first saw it? Um, there was just, there's just something about, you know, seeing, seeing the world, Coruscant, which was this magical mystery world yeah. named by Timothy Zahn and, and seen in books and to finally see it play out first in Phantom Menace, but here like knowing that Obi-Wan probably hung out at Dexter's diner. Yeah. You know, um, I that know hug. Yeah, no, I know. Um, uh, uh, later on we see more of the outlander club and all that kind of stuff here, but it's just to see it kind of, what life on the big planet is to me. Right. And to see it function um, helps that lived out feeling in Star Wars. Uh, and I just think that kind of starts here. And, and I, 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 Dexter's Diner is actually something that's kind of silly fun for me. Yeah. Uh, it was almost too on the nose with the little 50s thing, but I like that Obi Wan. I think yeah. you've been to a diner in your neck of the woods. Yes. That, is, that feels a little bit like Dexter's oh, Diner. Oh, you're talking about the NoHo Diner. Yeah, and yeah. they spilled a beer on me and gave me another one, and I felt like <laughs> this would happen at Dexter's Diner. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, to start with. Uh, um, yeah, we do start with uh, you got uh, 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 Zan Wessel and all that kind of the chase there and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think I said the Outlander Club comes later, but Outlander Club is first. Yeah. And yeah, you know, you got Elano, Please Bogano selling death sticks. Kind of silly, kind of stupid. I get it. Yeah. But the fact that there's this sports bar that people are going in and hanging out. Yeah. And that's kind of how the. Um, uh, how the how how society functions and 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 uh, you we're not even touching thirteen thirteen and all the lower levels and we do get to do that later on Clone Wars and stuff yeah. like that but it was fun for me to see especially as someone who was a Timothy Zahn reader and yeah. that's the first time you get this imperial planet the the headquarters of of Palpatine and the the big planet in the galaxy and to see it really really uh, on on a lower level. Uh, in a in a lower level way, is something I liked from the beginning, and I can't deny that. Yeah, and I still like it now. Yeah, I think uh, we talk a lot about on the main show, and, and everybody else who talks about Star Wars. The novelizations are doing such a good job right now of fleshing out Star Wars Galaxy is a real place where, right. if we're going to tell this in depth of stories, we need real politics. We need what do they actually eat? What do they actually wear? Right. And Attack of the Clones did a great job of starting that. Of like, well, it can't all be ships landing and then going to important rooms, right? Like it was in Phantom Menace. Like, right. well, people got to get to work. They got to eat. That's they got to watch point. sports. They got to do things. Thank you for articulating. I've had a long day, um, and you've had a long day too. I shouldn't make that excuse, but yes, that. Phantom Menace, you start to see it. You have Rick Olay going, Coruscant, oh, planet to city, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you actually see guys driving to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Jedi falling on them, it happens. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, God. All right, here you we know? go. And that is the kind of stuff that I like uh, seeing in Star Wars because we forget these, we're watching, we're following the main players. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at some point there's some guys like, I don't know what was happening today. Some guy flew by me and some other dude was chasing him. Crazy. Our city's going to yeah. book. You know, and I just like that kind of stuff. Pretty high-level early, uh, not early, 2002 troll uh, from Lucasfilm, too. I remember yeah. on some forum, Lucasfilm answering, yes, there will be another pod race. 
in Attack of the Clones and people getting upset. upset. Yeah, and then you, oh, it's in the most background of backgrounds on a screen in the Outlander Club. Look, I'll tell you right now, I'm putting this on record. I would love to see another pod race in some oh, kind of form yeah. or another. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get it in the solo movie because it would be about him flying and everything, and I don't want to see him a pod racer. Yeah. But at some point, I'm telling you, put another one up there. Absolutely. The Ahsoka standalone, she can pod race. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So that's my number four, Life on Coruscant. Uh, your number three? My number three is controversial. Ooh. It is Jar Jar ruins everything. Ah. I really like it. I can take the uh, Delo Felagates, take or leave the Delo Felagates. Yes, uh, yes. But I just I just pulled it up on YouTube before we recorded, and I rewatched uh, the scene where he actually does it. Um, I like that if this character is going to be introduced is this well-meaning idiot mm-hmm. that he should do something of like importance to the right. story. And uh, it is fascinating to watch on a meta level of George Lucas got all this heat for Phantom Menace. Right. Made all the money in the world. People just yelled at him and yelled at him about it. So then he's like, oh, well, was it always the plan to really reel Jar Jar back? Mm-hmm. Or oh, was Jar Jar yeah. going to have a larger role? And this is a kind of fascinating mm. middle of the road where he doesn't take up too much screen time. Right. He does not step in space poop, <laughs> but he steps in the biggest real poop you can <laughs> in the galaxy, the galaxy by giving powers to the Chancellor. <laughs> yeah. He thinks he's doing well. Even when you rewatch it, rewatch mm-hmm. it, because that's what this whole podcast is about. Rewatch it. Rewatch it. When he first proposes it, he has this awkward little smile. Like he did something really well because he thinks he's doing this brave, noble thing. He, and there's a little bit of <laughs> from the Senate, and then everybody else starts he's cheering. Smiling. He thinks he grabbed a political blue ball. Yeah. And tossed it at a political <laughs> droid. That's right. Yeah. And on purpose this time. Yes, yes. Instead of just accidentally. Tarples would be so proud of me. Yeah. <laughs> the blaster was wrapped around his foot, and this time he shot it on purpose instead of just <laughs> flailing it around. But also, I, I think, going along with that idea that Attack of the Clones is one of the movies that dips into, like, well, Star Wars is in a real galaxy. Mm-hmm. We need to kind of flesh this out, right. make the galaxy feel real. I would say, if you look around in politics of any era, mm-hmm. The unbelievable, you shouldn't write that, you can't write that. Right. An idiot bumbles into flipping this switch, and then we just go tumbling into horror. Right. That is not far-fetched. <laughs> um, I think if you want to, you can make any sort of connections to many, many, many eras of politics. But I will say really quickly, Yeah. I recently read an article about uh, the Nazis and Hitler Right. that was this deep dive into, well, a big part of the Nazis is they were just on meth. <laughs> And everybody has the records. It's right out there. It was just that the Nazis called them supplements. And Hitler had a doctor who gave him supplements. Supplements. And they had developed some uber drugs to help their soldiers become the best fighters. The best super soldiers. But when this guy dug into it, it's just like, it's meth. It's meth. The Nazis were on meth. <laughs> that the, oh. oh, the Nazis are so efficient. They're unstoppable. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were on or, meth. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. when I was rewatching it this time, I was because th- I just read that article, I was just like, yep. Real world stuff is just as it's you know great. absurd yeah. when you're talking about what what, what happened to make big, seemingly unstoppable political, uh, you know, galaxy world changing events happen. It's often something absurd. I I love it. This is great. Uh, the history lesson too. Um, uh, it's great because um, Jar Jar and Attack of the Clones. I mean, we all going into it was like, what are you going to do with it? And and there's some moments up front, you know. Eh, 
you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, the setup for the vote is not my favorite with uh, them going, if only there was a, some, someone who could do this vote. If only Padme was here and Masa made it. just kind of, I don't know. Mm, yep. Heavy-handed, but you know what? It makes a point. And again, if you, we talk about execution versus yeah. story on paper, um, it was it was maybe George in his own way going, all right, how about this? You know, and I just like, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. And, you know, and he phases out, and, and he wasn't in Sith uh, other than the, the final shots at the end. Yeah. But, um, and I, I don't think he belonged in Sith, but... Um, I like it. I like it. It is it is a different kind of fan service from a certain point of view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's my number three. Jar Jar ruins everything. Jar Jar. Oh, Jar Jar, take the political blue ball. <laughs> uh, my number three... Uh, I can tell I can. Wrote, I wrote this on a set break yesterday during a shoot. Um, so I'll, I'll read it and then I'll explain it. It's epics, epic shots in battle. Nice. Uh, I have definitely talked about some of my favorite moments in Star Wars, and a lot, of, and a lot of them actually are in the Clone War, the first Clone War. Yeah. Uh, begun the Clone Wars have. Um, I just, you know, again, execution versus story. I don't want to come back to that, but, but I think the how the sh- the battle of Geonosis was shot. Mm-hmm. Is some of Lucas's uh, best work in my mind. Yep. Um, there's the the f- quick uh, zoom ins on on the the ships. There's the the dust. There's the chaos. There's that beautiful shot of of over the clone troopers' shoulders shooting laser bl- bolts at the droids, and you were you almost can't see anything. Yeah. And I the love chaos of war. The chaos of war. It really. You look at Rogue One. Um, and I, I think I think it's. It's kind of that kind of stuff starts there of making, yeah. making. I'm going to say it, making Star Wars more realistic in battle, knowing that most of it was com- nothing but computers. <laughs> I, I get it. Um, and there's some bad intercuts. There's at one point where Mace land, where they land, and Mace, uh, you know, Sam Jackson pops off the ship, and it literally looks like he's just drop jumping off a two by four. Uh, you know, again, but this is. But also keep in mind that's Lucas at the beginning of this technology. Yeah. One of his strengths is is all right. Let's find a new way to do things. Let's break grounds. He's been doing that since the mid seventies, and and his ILL team in the mid seventies created many of the things that the industry is now built on. Yeah. Um. So I love that. And then and one of my favorite sequences. I recently was watching this movie again, and and in full, paying attention, Joseph. Um, <laughs> I like that thing where the where the the Trade Federation ships start leaving, and they're like, take that, take it down, concentrate all firepower yeah. on that thing. And it is a pretty. Majestic shot when they take down that ship, the the center ball of yeah. the Trade Federation, that gray ball, gray not a blue ball, ball not gray a blue ball. ball, and it crashes back down. Um, and then there's just a cascade, the like realistic amount of like cascade of like dirt and junk, dirt. not the sci-fi thing of like, yay, we blew up a whole big giant thing right. twenty feet from us, and we're all fine. But right. the actual like, no. Going like the first time that you know the original cut of, of New Hope and the Death Star blown up at the time, it was like poof. It was fireworks. You know? Yeah, and that's one of the special edition remake things I do like is a more realistic explosion uh, of the Death Star. So yeah, that and then the, there's that one shot. I love the sound design uh, with the. I love the clone transports, little troops. Uh, I know they got the names. Republic gunships. The gunships. Thank you. Sorry. Um, uh, there's that one shot when they fly up and one of them shoots but then loads again and its guns load and it like takes off and it's a oh, yeah. beautiful shot. Um, I remember coming out of the theater the first time I saw it and was like, I want to 
go play Star Wars on the recess <laughs> playgrounds again. Yeah. Like that that got me excited. Yeah, it has that great sort of chunky, distinctive sound where it's not smooth. Yes. Which is a, a great sound design to just make you feel like, duh, right. war is not good. The dark right. side clouds everything. And and there's a lot of that. Um, um, there's even so there's a great... Uh, um, where is it? I, I, I'm drawing some blanks, and I, I apologize. But um, uh, one of the clone troopers jumps up onto one of the spider droids. Oh yeah, and, and just lets it have it. Shoots it in yeah. the head. That's pre- it's a droid, but that's pretty gruesome for Star Wars at the time. Yeah, you know, now in Rogue One, you got Baze Malba's just shooting a stormtrooper <laughs> in the head. But that I remember Almost for a comic. You know, and I think oh, I, I I think that's in Sith. Is it Sith? It might be in Sith. Um, to jump it, up on the spider jump droid? On, I think it's in Sith. It's at okay. the temple. Uh, I corrected myself, Internet. Uh, hashtag away. Um, <laughs> but that kind of stuff is in the prequels, and, and that kind of started that really, really happen here in Attack of the Clones. And it just it just makes for just cool, epic stuff, which, I'm sorry, is part of the fun of Star Wars. Yeah. It's part of the fun of Rogue One. The story problems that you may have or character problems that you may have. It was just some cool shit, man. Yeah. And again, like a little bit more realistic. Yes. Right. Yes. Doubling down on that, and I, you know, I agree with you that they're epic shots. I think, uh, I think is a little is sub thing. Mm-hmm. I think the watch this movie with the sound off. If you really don't like the movie, try watching with the sound off because I think there are beautiful shots throughout. The battle is great, but like right. the shot of Anakin and Padme kissing as they come into the arena is great. The shots right. of Anakin searching for uh, for Shmi are great. Yeah. Tons of great shots. Yeah, and which, as we know, Lucas kind of believes. The dialogue's yeah. just a tool. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately. <laughs> but he knows how to put together a story visually. Yeah, and this this film is kind of a statement yeah. on that in some yeah. ways. Are we down, all the way down to number two? Number two. My number two is not as controversial as my number three, but we'll see. The Geonosians. Love it. Everything. I almost about put that as the an Geonosians. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard to. It was hard to break this one down and separate out and package the things mm-hmm. that I like. Uh, but the Geonosians. Everything about them. First, I think for George Lucas's new prequel direction, where I'm going to make some body types and shapes that are not dudes in rubber costumes, right? Because I have computers now. Uh, and he went way, way, way away from Star Wars design with things like Ben Quadrenos. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and a lot of the the pod racers, uh, but particularly with just the big cartoon face, right? But for making weird non-human shapes, the Geonosians fit in just fine. The Geonosians well, could march through most icily in A New Hope, and it would be fine. Yeah, like just visually, yeah. like they look cool and they fit. Uh, and it was a, a good, creepy new vibe to have this strange hive creature yeah. that just sort of crawled out of the walls, really fun and creepy. Mm-hmm. I like their big sonic blasters, so that was a Different nice weapon, escalation yeah. of like, oh, well, we've been watching now for like a movie and a half, the Jedi just yep. deflect blasts. Uh, right. So this is a great way to like, oh, something different to change it up and all of that. I love the design of Poggle the Lesser and his mm-hmm. sound design. That language. Great point. Yes, continue on that because... That changed for me. First time right. I, I'll say I'll say this. I want okay. you. To, first time I saw it, I was like, Ugh. and now it's one of my favorite things. Right. I love the pops that and the clicks and the hisses. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's so alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing about the Geonosians is everything about their design and their culture both made sense, but captured that uh, great Star Wars feeling of 
the unknown. Mm-hmm. Like that feels truly alien, almost a little bit dancing into sort of Lovecraft, HP Lovecraft. Yeah. You know, if anybody's a fan of HP Lovecraft, his whole theory was like that. The truly unknowable is what's so creepy. Things that mm-hmm. should not be. And the Geonosians uh, in all of Star Wars dance close to H.P. Lovecraft. They're like, you guys are gross. I, I don't want to know what you're doing in those dark little alcoves. I don't yeah. know want to know what you're hissing and snapping about. Yeah. Like, it gives them some like weight and power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, that they go on to be super important to Star Wars lore. Yeah. Uh, with their yeah. being the ones who started building the Death Star, that they designed the battle droids to look like them. There's a lot yeah. there to, uh, in terms of a reason to rewatch the, the Attack of the Clones. Get to know your Geonosians because they're <laughs> going to come back. And uh, you're so right. They're, it's a fascinating culture. Um, I'm glad we didn't see like a hive queen in the movie. That might have been too much and out of place. But yeah. seeing it uh, later on in some of the other programs and comics, it, it's actually interesting to me. Yeah, frightening, frightening when she pops up. What was in the Clone Wars episode? Um, and even in the, the the Ghost of Geonosis on Rebels um, with Click Clack, a good friend Click Clack. That's right. And in, in the new hive queen egg, I mean, it's still fascinating to me, and, and that. This bug-like thing. There are these. It, it reminds me of Wookies in a way. Yeah. You know, where it's this. This. Uh, you by by first glance, you think it's this primitive culture, but they're really technically sound and capable pilots and great warriors. And and so I, I'm fascinated by the Gene Oceans, and it's only grown over time. And when they show up in, in Catalyst and Pogolus or shows up in Catalyst, I, I was legitimately excited to see yeah. that character play out. And it all begins in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, it's such a cool name too, Pogol the Lesser. Why is he the lesser when he's in charge? And that was, I think, because it was a name that had come out, you know, leading into Attack the Clones. I think yeah. you see, uh, that's one of the characters, and it, it was like, Poogle, Poogle the lesser, lesser, <laughs> Poogle. Um, and it just became fascinating to yeah. me. And, uh, and uh, the fact that they built the Death Star, or started to, is, is, is important, like you said. Yeah, and I, I like now that we've fully learned that the story is that they designed it and like i don't know how this would work but it'd be cool yeah <laughs> that makes it even you guys even want more this? fascinating you guys need this yeah. you got these that's good <laughs> number two the geonosians my number two is detective kenobi oh yeah obi-wan kenobi uh is the story again played out in the best possible way nah Nah, not not so much. But um, I just like the little mission he goes on. I love Kenobi as a character, and I, I like that uh, the Jedi Order trusted him. Like this, is, there's a lot on him. Yeah, to be, you know, hey, this assassination attempt happens. Keeps happening. Some of these things. You mind taking a look? We got we yeah. got this whole wealth of resources in yeah. Jedi. Or, but you mind getting your little ship and just flying out? You can on just unravel the whole thing by yourself, right? Yeah, you got this, right, Obi Wan? And again, it leads us to Dexter's Diner. Cheesy at times, I agree. But I, there's something I, I like about you know. Oh, that's the Camino Saber, Dart. <laughs> um, and 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 he is the one that discovers the clones and. That's some of the best subtle humor in Star Wars is when Obi-Wan sits down. They're like, oh, you know, we're here for, you're here for the clones. And he's like, well, yeah. That's why I'm here. I'm, that's why I'm here. <laughs> and I just like that moment. And then, you know, the, the the stuff with Django is great. I'm just a man, you know, trying to make his way in the galaxy. And this, yeah. this tension. Detective Kenobi is just an interesting little little plot line and plot device for sure. It leads him back to Geonosis and leads him into the clutches of Dooku. But I, I, you needed to do something with Kenobi. And maybe that's some people's criticism of it. It just kind of might have seemed like, hey, you go do this for the plot. But but 
in story and in character. I love that Kenobi had that power and that uh, respect and the wherewithal to yeah. solve one of the galaxy's mysteries. And we learn so much about him. Yeah. Because in Phantom Menace, he is the young Padawan who is really excited to prove himself. Yes. And then suddenly he gets this responsibility dumped on him. So we learn that, oh, he is kind of bemused by Anakin, but mm-hmm. loving, but also worried about him. We learn from Dexter that he's like very kind and just likes having friends. And I, it's so cool to see a full Jedi in their prime doing mm-hmm. uh, what Yoda talked to Luke about, which mm-hmm. is not craving adventure. Yeah. He just wants to do the work that has been assigned to him by the council because he believes in the Jedi. Yeah. He believes in democracy. Yeah. He doesn't want to use his lightsaber if he doesn't have to. I mean, people make fun of the, this is why I hate flying line. Sure. But I really like it that this is fun to see a character like, I don't want to be being shot at by a bounty hunter. This does not give me a thrill. I don't want to be locked up. In an arena, having to fight for my life. I will, because I can, because it's part of the job, but I do not seek adventure or excitement. I'd rather just be hanging out with Dexter, shooting the breeze. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and we get all of that from his Detective Kenobi story, and I, lo- I love it. And I love you love that you know can't talk about humor. I actually like the line of you know Kenobi like what do you, what took you so long, Anakin? Like finally rescuing him, and they're both captured. Um, Great that's, job, yeah. yeah, that's fun. And then yeah, the thing going back to Dexter, why like let's talk about life on Coruscant is is I love it. What it says about Kenobi is I don't think other Jedi, maybe one or two, but I don't think other Jedi have been hanging out in Dexter's diner. Nope. It is an Obi-Wan thing, keeping the, the notion that Obi-Wan's kind of one of the guys you want to go get a drink with. Yeah. And and uh, I like it. And, and he's a, a Jedi fully in command of his skills. He doesn't panic. And it's, you see it in the beginning in the, in the Zam Wessel chase and everything. Not only is he resourceful, but just like, hey, let's go get a drink. Don't worry, Anakin. Yeah. Calm down. <laughs> and that's at play all through Attack of the Clones. Yeah, the nice that's, calm. That's my number two. Uh, I'll go with my number one because I'd like to have you close with your number one. Um, and we mentioned uh, Kenobi getting uh, getting himself into the clutches of Count Dooku, and that is my number one is Dooku, the first rebel. I nice. think Count Dooku is a fascinating character, maybe unfortunately named, but with a epic actor. Yeah. Um, so glad that he's part of the Star Wars universe and the story of Lord Tyrannus and the story of Dooku leaving the Jedi Order. Uh, not all explained fully in this movie, of course, but it establishes that an interesting character that, as we learned with one of the reasons you said of, of the line of, of Padawans to Masters, leads back to Dooku and Yoda. And Yoda was responsible for Dooku and was his, 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 uh, his pupil. Yeah. Um, and that that turns to, to Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon becomes one of those Jedi on the outside of the rules at times. And we talk all the time of Quinlan Voss and Master Zyphodeus and all these people. And again and again and again, it comes back for me to Dooku. And yes, he was in league with Palpatine and Sidious. Uh, he um, helped Palpatine start this war, yeah. the Phantom Menace. I get it. But at the end of the day, I really believe in my Star Wars nerd heart that <laughs> Dooku maybe got in over his head, maybe fell for a lie, maybe was under the influence of Sidious, uh, maybe it was a power play, maybe he would have tried to, maybe he was somewhat speaking the truth to Kenobi, yeah. saying, let's over- overthrow the Sith. Oh, yeah. I think there was some part of him that believed that. And and maybe he was upset that, you know, post Qui-Gon's death, maybe he and Qui-Gon could have done some good. Maybe he's so over, over, overwrought with all yeah. that stuff. 
that he believed he was a separatist. And as we know, the separatists, in the end, were only fighting the beginning of the Galactic Empire. Yeah. Uh, Cassie Nandor would agree. <laughs> the separatists maybe had some good points. All right? Maybe they did things bad. Maybe a blockade wasn't the greatest start. Um, but then Duca comes in and rallies the troops. And, and, yeah, I view him as a bad guy. Yes. I accept him as a bad guy. But there are shades of gray in that character, and you have talked about maybe a book about du- Oh, du- Dooku. I would love a, a Dooku book. And it is, uh, it is a fascinating character to me, and, I, and I'm thankful that Christopher Lee got, to, uh, got the opportunity to portray this character. Absolutely, and I think Christopher Lee himself has some great moments yeah. in the movie. Um, and yeah, and I love the idea that his story is, he is a true political believer who mm-hmm. thinks like, well, I'll use the dark side because it's more powerful, but like, sees all the things that fans talk about, like, right. The Jedi Order is not functioning well. The Senate is kind of corrupt and stalled, so maybe there actually is is a better way. I can use the dark side to get all this power, and like all Sith do, they'll kill their master, and like, maybe Obi-Wan will come and help me and be, you know, my right-hand guy. But, but of course, like, yeah. in, the, in the true story of Star Wars, like, you don't dabble in, in the yeah. dark side. You don't. But that, but that makes it interesting to think, like, did Dooku think he can just dabble the same way that maybe Anakin thought? Like, I'm just doing this for, for a hot minute while I save Padme, and then right. I'll go back to good. Absolutely. And, and we see, and if you read Dark Disciple, Quinlan Voss fallen in, in the pursuit of assassinating Dooku falls to the dark side for a bit. And, and, then, and then in that moment in Sith, the second before he dies... There's again, Chris Christopher Lee's so great, so great. There's something about Dooku just looking at Palpatine and going, "Oh, I made a huge mistake." Yeah, <laughs> it's a Joe Bluth from Arrested Development <laughs> yeah. moment, but far more regal and powerful. But it really does look like yeah. all of these clues that he had fell into place. Of like, oh, oh. you were using me to turn Skywalker. Oh, my head's off. It's heads off. Yeah. So for me, Dooku, the first rebel, the first rebel. That's so. Cool. Uh, but your number one, Joseph, and the top five reasons to rewatch Attack of the Clones. This was a very hard decision for me. No, it was for you. Yes, it was. Uh, but I went with it is a prequel to the Clone Wars animated series. Nice. That is my number one reason. Well played, sir. I almost went with it's a fever dream because I do think <laughs> it is the movie where George Lucas went kind of the most crazy yeah. with between what he thought fans wanted and what he wanted and had yeah. the most sort of tension. But ultimately, I think that is the best reason to re-watch yeah. Attack of the Clones in particular. I came around to really, really being vocal about, hey, the prequels, I like them, and I think there's mm-hmm. more there for people to look at. You know, just a, like a couple months before I went on that, that fateful episode of Jedi Alliance that mm-hmm. you used to host, yeah. uh, and we talked about it, and right before that I had done an episode of my friend Jackie Cajian's podcast yeah. and said, I want to talk about the prequels. And it was because the Clone Wars animated series builds out this world, this story of the clones mm-hmm. and makes them so morally complex and interesting and right. builds on that idea of who is whose Padawan and builds on that idea of is Dooku doing this politically or is he serving his dark master? And mm-hmm. what does it mean for all of these heroes who are fighting this endless horrific war and mm-hmm. it's just a chess game and none of them know it all of that stuff that gets introduced in attack the clones mm-hmm. gets played out so well yeah. almost all the time there's some clunky moments in early parts of the clone wars animated sure. series but so much of it is so good and so rich and i just remember being so excited like i love this chunk of star wars yeah 
I love Jedi not wanting to fight, but fighting constantly with all these clone troopers and learning to have such great respect for their their brothers and mm-hmm. the political battles and seeing more of a Padme trying to, you know, everything. And it all starts because of what's in Attack the Clones specifically. Yeah, there's something, and, and even go to, to the Tartakovsky uh, Clone Wars series, yeah. where you're seeing the potential of what could have been, and not just Attack of the Clones, but, you know, one of the disappointments of Attack of the Clones into Sith, once it was all said and done for all three prequel mm-hmm. movies, might have been that uh, on screen we didn't get to see the Clone Wars as much as we wanted. We yeah. only get to see the end of Attack of the Clones and the beginning of, of Revenge of the Sith. You know, um, and it, it's played out so well in both Clone Wars series, but definitely in, in the now fully canon one. Um, and every time, especially early on, I, w- I was... Slightly dubious. I, I watched the, the the first Clone Wars cartoon series late on on DVD. Mm-hmm. I own I own them, but it was like okay, that's cool. There's some cool stuff in there, but I wasn't fully into it. But once I saw the Clone Wars series, it was like ah, this is the world fully rolled out in front of me. Yeah. And what I started to realize, and this is the groundwork maybe being laid for me to come back and look at the prequels as a whole differently, is seeing things and going oh, that's cool. I did like that part of Attack the Clones in the yeah. battle. I did like those gunships. All these things on the list started to... Watching the Clone Wars cartoon, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a cool little beat, and it and it starts from this movie. It really kicks into high gear at the end. Yeah, yeah. And I think just in terms of re-watching, you know, if you're a fan of the prequel era, and if you're, if you're a fan of the Clone Wars animated series, you can get a lot more out of the Attack the Clones going back mm. to it. Absolutely, which is, which is what we want you to do yeah. here, fellow... Force Center listeners, is to take our list and uh, compare it to your own. Tweet us at hashtag Star Wars Ranked and, uh, and let us know and rewatch these movies if you haven't for a while or if you're like us and you rewatch them probably more than the originals, <laughs> but you won't admit it publicly because <laughs> they're just kind of good to have on in the background or if you're like Joseph, to study again with an open notebook. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I've reasons counting them up from five to one. Joseph, get us started. Oh boy. Yeah. This this whole thing. You Well, first of all, before we even dive in, you, this is tough for you. This is real. You had like, a lot to choose from. A lot of, uh, this is almost physically painful because. I, I had some choices. I rewatched the move. I put it on. Okay. And I made my list as I watched it. But you had a lot. I rewatched it in my mind as we're recording this. My wife is away for a week. Yeah. I cooked a frozen pizza. I just stared at it in the oven and I replayed <laughs> Revenge of the Sith in my mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I really love this movie. I think it is the best of the prequels. It's got the, the best things and the things that resonate with me. And my number five mm-hmm. is something huge. And yeah. a reason to rewatch Revenge of the Sith is every single frame. Of Obi-Wan Kenobi. All of it. Every single one in this film. Not a bad frame of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, I know you are a fan of Obi-Wan Kenobi. You would also like to see an Obi-Wan Kenobi film. Absolutely. And I would like that largely because Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan Kenobi finally comes into his own. Mm -hmm. This movie is Anakin's story, but it's Obi-Wan Kenobi's movie. Right. And I will start with the very superficial of finally... Obi-Wan Kenobi looks cool. <laughs> in finally. Finally. Two movies. And we've talked about him on the other lists here. Yeah. His name has popped up. No secret we're Kenobi fans. But yeah. Yeah. Finally. Ewan McGregor knocks this out of the park throughout, is right. an actor throughout the prequels. He's got the weird, spiky, I'm playing soccer in 1988 hair with a Padawan braid in Phantom Man. It still looks pretty cool. <laughs> Saddled with a, a disturbing mullet-like thing yeah. in Attack of the Clones. Oh, but yeah. this... His beard is perfect. Mm-hmm. His hair is cool. He's got the kind of classic Alec Guinness robes. He's got the classic Obi-Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. lightsaber. He looks so sharp and so cool throughout it. And then uh, there's a lot that kind of connects him to Alec Guinness. Yep. 
He's got the hello there. Yep. That he gives to General Grievous, uh, which is apparently just how he uh, how he greets droids yeah, of any yeah, kind. Yeah. Uh, he has the disliking blasters when he finally mm, destroys General so Grievous. So uncivilized. So uncivilized, but a, a really cool uh, battle. Uh, I love all of his lightsaber fights. Other people make fun of mm. his weird fighting pose. Right, but you like this pose. I love it because we're being told the story that he is an unwilling fighter. He'd rather be hanging out at Dexter Jetster's <laughs> diner, just... <laughs> Hanging out and being cool and yeah, reading would, stuff in the Jedi archives. Yeah. <laughs> He'd rather be having a drink and tracking down lowlifes who sell death sticks. <laughs> but he is a man of duty. He's a man of honor. He's been sent to war, and he's got his his forms down. Right. And this is his, ah, I wish you hadn't pissed me off, but you did. So now I got to pull my lightsaber out and make the weird two-finger gesture <laughs> over my head at you. I don't, see, I don't make fun of it. I just, every time I see it, even now. Look at it, just kind of go, huh? <laughs> yeah, see, to me, it just, it has purpose. It has the, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to fight, but okay, here mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. This is my, now, I'm going to mess you up pose. I know some people out there might say, hey, it's it's form, what, number yes. seven. It's form this. I, I never, admittedly, never got into the lightsaber forms and all that stuff. Is, is, is that form, in your mind, Joseph, is it him kind of like Babe Ruth calling his shot in the 1934 World Series where really Babe wasn't predicting he was hitting a home run? He might have been like pointing at the pitcher. I'm yeah. going to get you. Next shot's going up out, of, out, of, out of, over the fences. Was that Kenobi kind of pointing at Grievous being like, all right. Yeah, I think it is. This is not my choice, but I must. Okay. And now this is going away from the movie, mm-hmm. but like a deep dive on the novelization, he oh. was a ma- Obi-Wan Kenobi was a master of the defensive form. Oh. And if you watch the whole movie with that, like that mm-hmm. idea of like, you, we, we send you to go get Grievous, the guy who has four arms and goes crazy <laughs> with lightsabers, because you're not about offense. You're about right. defense. Eh. And that tracks through to even when he defeats Anakin. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, because that that keeps in his practices. He kind of keeps pure to the Jedi. Yeah. The Jedi, he's not a great Jedi. Yeah. You know Luke's great line in Return of the Jedi of, that's the last mistake you'll ever make to Jabba when he's like, I offered you and said, Uh, do this or or we'll have to kill you. Great line. That's, that is the spirit of Obi-Wan's gesture to me when I watch the movie. Um, He's like, I don't want to do this, but all right. You pushed me. This is happening. Yeah. Uh, okay. In all, I love his fights with uh, uh, the with General Grievous. With his fights, all of his moves against the the Magna Guards, the yep. dropping the big thing on them. Uh, his uh, Vractal riding the boga. <laughs> I like the boga. I like him riding I'm it. Okay with the boga. I get it's it's one of the weirder things, and it it might cause some people to jump off the Sith train, but it just it was it was different. Yeah, but I mean, Beasts of Burden, what's new about that in Star yeah. Wars? Yeah. It's a Beast of Burden in a sinkhole planet. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. Get on board yeah. this Raktal named Boga. I, I felt sorry for, for Boga falling to his death. That's true. Yeah, it's a, one of the many tragedies yeah, which of we'll this mention film. Later. Yeah. yeah, and then, so I could go on and on about Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi. So uh, the, the last thing I want to mm-hmm. say is he's just he does have a lot of cool lines. I love Sith Lords are a speciality. Right. But the big thing is, like, he sells some hard-to-sell moments. And no matter what else you think of the movie, the you were a chosen one speech yes. is powerful yes. and painful. It encapsulates everything that 
Anakin did wrong and everything that we as lovers of Star Wars, the tragedy it encapsulates the tragedy. I mean, for anyone, you know, who's on the fence about Sith, they always will, will go to that final, maybe last 30, 40 minutes of the film. Yeah. It gets, it gets darker. Now, you know, you could make a snide comment about the high ground and all that stuff in the fight, but I agree with that. That, that fight though, or over choreographed in some sense yeah. um, is two people at the height of their powers uh, with a lot of skills going at it. It makes some sense. And there's not just some cool blade stuff in that fight. And I know we're not, we're talking about Obi-Wan and not the fight, but just getting into it, like them choking each other and a lot of force yeah. and cool things. But yeah, it's all kind of sold to that. You were the chosen one moment. It's, it's kind of the midpoint of star Wars. And in a way, if you look at all six stories yeah. of the original trilogy franchise, um, original trilogies, uh, that is the key emotional hook in all six of them. Yeah. It is this man who sacrificed a lot of what he believed. And we talked about the maturation of Obi-Wan and accepting someone else's, you know, goals. Qui-Gon was the one who wanted to train Anakin. Uh, Obi-Wan didn't. So he accepted that goal and, and, it, and it pays off in that particular moment. Yeah, I have failed you. Yeah. He tried. Yeah, so I mean, so you, you get the great quips, you get the great action, he, he looks yeah. great, and he carries the emotion of this part of the epic Star Wars tale. Yeah, and then you get to see him know and decide to go into hiding. Yep. Which is, uh, you know, at again, at the top of his game, he's going to go be an old crazy hermit. <laughs> and there's so much out there we don't know yet. Oh, and I want to know more. I want there to be more yeah. so much. Yeah. Now, with the, the preview for that Rebels episode that's going to have... Uh, Kenobi and Maul, which mm-hmm. at the time of this recording has not come out yet. We haven't seen it. But you got that little preview. He's kind of got the same form, right? He does the form, yeah. yeah. And I'm, you excited about that? Oh, so oh, excited. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Bridges, uh, obviously, he's much more Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan yeah. at that point. Yeah. But man, I love that because I'm sure he's got the same attitude of like, yeah. I'm not flying around the galaxy trying to find you to settle some yeah. decades-old score. But if you're going to come to me, if you're going to come near young Luke Skywalker... Yeah. I got to do my defensive form. Love it. I love it. And it definitely completes the the Obi-Wan trilogy uh, of stories in these movies. You yeah. Know, he has, he's a key component in each one of them, as he should be, and he grows, and, and this is definitely, uh, it's, I think all of them, but particularly this movie is when you look at it and go, give Ewan McGregor one more chance. Yes, exactly. He give him his it. own juicy movie. Okay, so that's number five. Obi-Wan Kenobi would make sense that everything about him would be on your mind as you watch Revenge of the Sith. My number five, a little smaller scale, but it is just as big and grand from a certain point of view. It is the Battle of Coruscant. Mm-hmm. And this I'm going to include the opening crawl. Okay. Um, war! War! Exclamation point. I love that. It's one of my favorite. Luke Skywalker's Vanished might be my favorite crawl now. Yeah. Um, opening sentence, but for... Uh, maligned prequels yeah. that were ve- already maligned by this point. <laughs> you got Trade Federation blockades, and then you got whatever's Attack of the Clones is about. It was like Lucas going, you finally earned it, fans. This is it. War. This is the movie you wanted to see the whole time. Yeah. The Sith soundtrack, all of the soundtracks uh, to the prequels, Williams brought his A game for this, yes. no doubt about it. Um, and the Sith one is probably my favorite of, of the prequel soundtracks by far, which makes sense. It's it, it being the best one of the bunch of the movie-wise. Uh, and this opening, that music, gong, 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 these drums, these pounding like a tribal warrior beat, yeah. is, is unlike any beginning of Star Wars to me. They all start pretty small outside of New Hope. 
true. You know, uh, New Hope is iconic. It is it is the opening image we're all aware of. But don't don't forget, Empire started with probes being launched. Yep. Jedi started with like, what's your code clearance? <laughs> uh, Phantom Menace started with like, what's your code, what's your clearance, code clearance? Basically, yeah. Force Awakens starts with you know ships landing. Yep. I love the opening shot. Actually, I got to say, Abrams, uh, one of my favorite things was that shot of kind of looking up at the ship and then the mo- blocks the moon. And, right. And everything. Great stuff. So but it continues the tradition, but yeah. makes it different. Rogue One, different, different. Um, boom, boom, but even then, slow. It's a ship landing. Yep. This is the only one to date that starts with war. Yep. Star Wars. And that great shot of Anakin and Obi-Wan and their little Jedi starfighters flying over that cruiser. And... Um, that turn, when they go down and to the left, and you see the Battle of Coruscant in the air from that perspective, yep. one of my favorite shots in all of Star Wars. It's powerful when you think yeah. it's peaceful, and then they plunge into just chaos and death and horror, yeah. and you're like, oh, that's what this that's one is war. about. Now, it's no longer canon, but uh, Labyrinth of Evil, which was, uh, I think Lucino wrote that one. Yeah. Gosh, I always forget. But yeah, I believe he did. Um, leads right up to that moment, and it's, I wonder if they'll ever make like, I wonder, could you just correct a couple <laughs> chapters and turn some of these books canon? Yeah. Like Plagueis too. All right, throw in some new stuff that you want to make sure gets in there, but just kind of do a cover a cover of the book, a yeah. cover song of a good book. Labyrinth of Evil is a pretty good book because it's a search for um, Sidious, and, and it has a lot to do with they're getting so close. At one point, he's revealed to a dying uh, clone trooper who, you know, gets shot with one of those sonic guns. His innards are being destroyed, and he looks up, and he sees it, and he's like, oh, and you hear his mind. He's you're, you're inside his brain and he's like it oh my gosh it goes all the way to the oh and he dies you know? <laughs> so it ends with the battle of coruscant starting yeah. and i'll still accept that moment as kind of head cannon cannon okay it, it and and it's, and it's an intense start because it's like an ev- it's like like an old world war ii the, the bombs on on england you know you hear stuff just happening batteries are shooting down at them from these cruisers and 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 it's chaotic and so to read that book and then to go into sith and this moment, it just it sinks up so well for me. That's why I really don't like that that moment isn't canon in the book. Oh, books. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this opening shot and them flying down. Now, I will say it devolves a little bit for me. One of my least favorite moments is Anakin shooting the outside of the cruiser, destroying the shield. Yeah. Ah, no, no. And then it, then it goes into... Some poor design, for sure, yeah. on the Separatist part. Yeah. Then it goes into a little different area, R2 being some, you know, comedy with oil and uh, one of my least favorite <laughs> lines, though. I, but it's one of my least favorite to the point that I like it is when the two super battle droids hear R2. <laughs> What's that? That nothing. Like, what? They're dumb? The droids don't even... They can't speak in full sentences? Um, so... Uh, I just think, you know, before those moments, this opening is still one of my favorites. It gives me those nerd chills. Yeah. And when you look at Rogue One and say, hey, the final 45 minutes to an hour is geeked up Star Wars, just fights and crazy stuff. This was a little sliver of that. Yeah. That I don't think can be overlooked. And it's narratively powerful because... Anakin and Obi-Wan flying in perfect unison immediately catches us up of they have been at war forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anakin is a Jedi now, but they're still in sync. They're insanely Mm -hmm. in sync. And I think one of the most successful moments in the prequels of showing Anakin being a good person. Mm-hmm. who loves Obi-Wan and doesn't want to leave him behind. And Obi-Wan's just yeah. like, uh, I'll eject or whatever. I, my ship is destroyed with buzz droids. And Anakin's just like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not leaving you behind, Master. Like, yeah. that, there's some really good storytelling woven into this insane 
mm-hmm. war in space. War in space. And you, when you hear Obi Wan later on say to Luke, "You know, your father was a, was already a great pilot." You know, um, you could say that's about his pod racing as a kid or whatever. <laughs> but you know, to have Obi Wan has this in the back of his mind. Yeah. Oh, there was a time he saved me with uh, his ship knocked up Buzz Droids, like <laughs> crazy stuff, crazy yeah. stuff. And I just think. That fight is uh, part of the fun of Star Wars for me is the war, and part of it is just that cool stuff that would still make you as an eight-year-old go, wow, and that opening with the music, song, and the turn of the ships is worth rewatching. It's a wow moment for sure. Absolutely. That is my number five. Five's out of the way. Number four. Joseph, what do you have? Number four, I'm going deep and weird like oh, I like to. yeah. Uh, That's why you're on the team. <laughs> number four is a little bit of a George Lucas validation. My number four is... The poetry. Now, George Lucas has said multiple times, pretty famously on some behind the scenes, it's like, it's poetry, it all kind of rhymes. And everybody... We love George, by the way. We do. We do. We like doing his voice. It's because, you know, we do comedy and voices. Comedy. (laughs) Validation. Uh, But everybody makes fun of him for that poetry line. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, it does seem like he's just saying, like, oh, well, this rhymes with this because it does. But Revenge of the Sith... The poetry is legitimate and powerful. That idea of the prequels and the original trilogy are composed of a bunch of rhyming stanzas. Yeah. Uh, And there are some moments that are super successful in just mirroring the path of Luke versus the path of Anakin, Mm. the path of Anakin versus the path of Vader. In specific, the great scene uh, on the invisible hand when they get on this ship Mm. uh, and Obi-Wan has been knocked out and, uh, Palpatine asks Anakin to kill Dooku Mm. exactly the Mm -hmm. same way he encourages Luke to later kill Vader. Right. And we just get to see that great direct mirror. Palpatine is in the chair with a similar window behind them. He has orchestrated an event where without telling his apprentice, Mm -hmm. he's trying to get a younger, more powerful apprentice to kill the previous apprentice. And we see the way that Anakin handles it. Yeah. We even have the hand sever of the previous apprentice by the young apprentice. Yeah. And, and you got even you know, the throne. It all looks, to, you know, clearly Palpatine has an interior design style he likes. <laughs> like, this is the look that I need <laughs> when I'm converting yeah. a new uh, apprentice by taking yeah. out the old apprentice. I'm going to improve on this, but keep it the same. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it is, uh, yeah, so that, that whole, mm-hmm. just, and it, you know, when you're thinking, like, what's the difference between Luke and Anakin? It's those choices, those mm-hmm. moments, uh, and they're put in the exact same position by the same manipulative mastermind mm-hmm. and handle them entirely differently. Uh, and then we also have uh, the, the it's not as obvious, but a moment where Anakin must choose between Palpatine and a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And the fate of the galaxy depends on mm-hmm. his choice. Yeah. He chooses to save Palpatine from Mace Windu. Right. Uh, and for all right. of these selfish reasons. Right. And that really mirrors in Return of the Jedi when he has a choice to save Luke or take out Palpatine. Yeah. And he finally makes the other decision. I mean, uh, I mean, just to break that down in a simple way, I mean, yeah, it just it does kind of have a power to it that you kind of can overlook. If you're just focusing on Palpatine screaming unlimited power, which is unintentionally hilarious and, and also kind of cool because it's super Palpatine. enjoyable and ridiculous. Yeah, but the, the 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 poetry of that scene is is pretty powerful if you stop and think. Yeah, in that Anakin expresses, "I need him," meaning yeah. Palpatine. Yeah, you know, for these selfish attachment reasons and, mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, 
and then the sort of the, the mirror or the poetry or the rhythm of that of right. he knows he might die if he takes out Palpatine, you know, but yeah. does he need Luke? Um, and then just the the whole prequel trilogy tells the story of the attachments, but Revenge of the Sith drills down on all Anakin really wants. He's got some anger issues. He's got some pride issues. Mm-hmm. He's got some beef with the Jedi, but he just wants the power to keep the people he loves alive. In the whole movie, he makes all of these mistakes in a desperate and flawed attempt to do that. Right. In taking all of Revenge of the Sith as a mirror of Return of the Jedi, which are mirrors, that he ultimately succeeds by doing the right thing and ultimately saving someone he loves. He saves Luke, finally, in doing this actually selfless thing instead of doing selfish things things, to try to save people he loves. And it finally works. Uh, And then there's even mirrors within itself, the idea of somebody being too dangerous to live, that that's how Palpatine talks him into cutting Dooku's head off. Yeah. And then that Mace Windu says that exact line back to him about Palpatine. So it's Mm. sort of like a mirrors within mirrors and poetry within poetry Mm -hmm. and is sort of a a, a over the top is poetry Mm. sounds. I think Mm. it's really true about Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And all of those moments and those reflections add to the whole power of the Star Wars story. Do Do you think, do you think the Star Wars ring theory is true on some level unintentionally or how much, how much, I mean, what you're describing, Lucas had to have thought of. Yeah. He had to have put it in there. Oh, yeah. I think that Lucas absolutely did specific mm-hmm. mirrors New Hope to Phantom Menace attack to Empire and Sith yeah. to Jedi for sure. And I think some of those mirrors are the most obvious between Sith and Jedi. Right. I like a right. lot of the ring theory ideas. I think yeah, idea, yeah. I think the spirit of it is it true? I think some of them are kind of reaching. Of like, right. this thing comes in from the right side of the frame. So does this, this thing. This, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah that, well, a lot of things come in from the right side of the frame. Uh, I, I agree with you there. And, and, and I love that you can find a way, as you do, Justin, to, to add so many layers to it that I think are easy to overlook. I mean, the Mace Windu scene it's, it, in itself is just... Uh, you know, yeah, it's not his son. It's different, but you see him making in Jedi those uh, that moment's almost in his head now. Yeah. Now I don't need a special edition. No, but um, <laughs> it's all internalized, and it's, yeah. it's been there before. It reminds me, and hearing you describe it, it reminds me of the that YouTube thing that went uh, went around. It's still out there where Obi Wan and uh, on Tatooine and New Hope talking to Luke about his father and the past, and oh, and then reflecting, and, and, ref- and then they cut in the shots of the prequel. It, it it makes the prequels look pretty powerful if yeah. you're just seeing those little moments in Obi Wan's head. Yeah, Obi Wan is seeing what the truth was, and then deciding exactly how to parse it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, powerful. Yeah, it's yeah. powerful. So, so poetry, man. Poetry. poetry That's man. my number four. <laughs> so my number four is um, interesting. You mentioned his name. Uh, it is Mace Windu yeah. being right. <laughs> now, I think throughout the entire prequels, Mace Windu has a track record of saying things very simple, straightforward, and dour that are completely uh, kind of... Uh, Bad, I mean, sad, depressing, Debbie Downer-like <laughs> predictions that are all true. And it all comes together here. Even in Attack of Clones, you know, do you, do you think we should put those two together? I don't know. Padme and Anakin. Seems like they're two young, hot things. They might That might cause some problems. Like, all the <laughs> way through. All the way through. Yeah. Even back in the beginning. Mace is kind of right. And I think it's a, it all comes together. And the big reward for Mace is his apparent horrible death. <laughs> apparent, you say. 
You know, he, it's not that he didn't, well, he didn't trust Anakin, but you know, that moment of, look, if what you've said is true, Anakin, you've earned my trust um, because I know in my head, I've been right for a long time. Uh, Let me go handle this. And, you know, in all intents and purposes, by the way, Mace defeated Palpatine in my my head. Now, Palpatine could have been playing and was at one point playing possum, but I think fight wise, Mace had him. Oh, yeah, Mace had him before Anakin walked in there. Yeah. He, that great scene of uh, Palpatine uh, skittering across yes. the, the windowsill. Yes. That's before Anakin walks in. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I totally accept that. So, so to see this, to see literally, you know, Anakin fills in the final puzzle. But even in this Labyrinth of Evil book, I don't know, I did not plan to keep mentioning this book as much as I thought today. <laughs> I'll bring up the novelization of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, we'll yeah. Um, uh, you know, Mace is kind of the one kind of like, we're this close. I think it's, you know, and he talks about Attack of the Clones, too, of just like, you know, there's something going on. Yeah. It's closer than we think. We're not feeling the Force. So some kind of Yoda. And I think Yoda's the one who's like, ah, worry, you should not. Yeah. Jedi just arrogant now. Meditate. Um, we will. Meditate, we will. So to see, I think, to, to, to watch it, um, I wonder at any point in Mace's brain, as he's <laughs> falling to his death without a hand, and he's electrocuting him, he's still being electrocuted, electricity coursing <laughs> through his, his body, he's like, I knew it. I knew it. That all would be along. so great if instead of no, you heard him shouting, I told you. So to see it tragically come uh, come to full fruition in this movie. Yeah. It's one of the reasons you should rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. He sensed a plot to destroy the Jedi. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of laugh at that line. But if you do take it not as uh, heavy handed from the creators, but if you take it as the rest of the Jedi are like, hmm, yeah, well, Palpatine, maybe it's, oh, hmm. But he's the one who actually senses there's an entire plot. It's not just that Palpatine is yeah. the Sith. There's a plot to destroy the Jedi, and he sensed it. Right. He's got it. He's got points. Yeah. Fortunately, you're dead, Mace, but you got points. <laughs> maybe. You know, I don't know. I don't think he ever pops back up. I don't want him. <laughs> I, I to. don't think so. I don't want him. Sadly. To. All right, so that's number four. Number three on the list, Joseph. Number three for me is a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more just sort of enjoying the Star Wars for the war, as you've been discussing, and yep. that is Yoda moves. Yoda moves, working on the Yoda moves. Yoda has so many sweet moves. Now, in the prequel trilogy, yeah. Yoda being an expert swords thing sword thing swords person <laughs> mm-hmm. swordsman swords person uh swords whatever alien yoda is mm-hmm. uh you know people are torn on it and attack the clones like uh, would it maybe been more elegant if he didn't use the lightsaber he just used the force and anyway. does it look really cool or does it yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh so attack the clones you you can have mixed feelings about yoda's moves in revenge of the sith are uh literally killer yeah. So many cool moves. He has the sensing of Order 66. Ooh, the yeah. spin where he just takes the two clone scout troopers Vicious. heads off. Yeah. Just a spin. <laughs> yeah, so no no uh, potentially silly, depending on where you come down in the argument, bouncing around like he does with Dooku. Mm-hmm. Just a spin, two heads gone. Yeah. Survives Order 66. Yeah. When uh, Yoda and Obi-Wan come back, to Coruscant need to fight their way to the Jedi Temple. 
the short but beautiful battle with the clones where he throws his lightsaber into the heart of a clone. The sword in the clone and then scampers up his body before it falls to death to get his lightsaber back and then does a little flick like, yeah. I yeah. did that. That I remember seeing that moment in the theater for the first time, and the crowd reacted pretty positively to that. Oh, it's vicious! It's vicious! And they're fighting, man. It's vicious, and it doubles down on what Revenge of the Sith is about. It's like uh-huh. these are characters who are not messing around anymore, right? And perhaps my favorite. Uh, it is a GIF I look at often uh, and, and retweet pretty often. Mm-hmm. Uh, the force push of the Senate guards when he walks that. into Palpatine's office and he just has that casual, this, this is nothing to me. Yeah. And they both just slam up against it. That's one of those, like, uh, you know, any kind of superpowers, the force, a part of the fun is mm-hmm. imagining that yeah. of like, uh, what, what if I could handle problems with a flick of my hand? And this is a moment where Yoda, Palpatine's little yeah. green friend, Your little green just friend. the tiniest of gestures, wham. It's a battle of two titans. Yeah. And it's underrated. I think the focus is obviously on Anakin and Obi-Wan's fight. But Palpatine versus Yoda, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, it's got some spinning around if you don't like Yoda spinning around. Yeah, it's it's got got some some, silly, but... It's got some good force moves when he catches the the Senate pod and he spins it with the force and sends it flying back. And it's fun, especially if you you didn't like the politics, especially in Phantom Menace, to see them destroying that Senate chamber... (laughs) Yeah. It's got to be a little bit of fun for you. Absolutely. You absolutely. Know? Yeah. I mean, so I, I, in terms of like reasons to rewatch Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. rewatch it, imagine it is an action movie starring Yoda. Because right. Yoda is a little badass, right down to dropping badass lines like that. <laughs> if so powerful are you, why do you run? Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly right. But just like... At an end, your reign is. Yeah, he's yeah. talking smack. Yes. He is a little action hero. It, so. is, a, it is a co-main event, really, yeah. if you think about it. In the final Yoda move, yeah. he does ride Chewbacca. That's which is true. also a cool and weird Yoda move. That's true. Which is, uh, and we get this question a lot on Twitter, and I think one day we'll finally do some big roundtable philosophical conversation. We'll bring in some folks. Um, is does Chewie at any point tell Han, <laughs> ah, Jedi are real? One rode on my back. Yeah, like the the most powerful Jedi ever rode me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I watched him take off and um, all that fun. So that he is, said he was going to miss me. That is your number three. Tarful Chewbacca. Um, My number three is the emotional tug (laughs) of Order 66. Oh, yeah. Now, to this day, and I know Clone Wars has gone a lot into the backstory of the Order and um, uh, the chips and all that stuff. I, to this day, don't understand why we needed to call it Order 66. Oh, really? I don't understand. One through 65, what's going on? I, I, you know, and if there's an answer in canon or old canon or legends, I don't even care, Joseph. Yeah. It just was a, a weird choice to me to be okay. like, at some point, that's okay. Do you feel it sounds like a sandwich order? It does, and I have, and I've seen other people do this. I like a Del Taco. One day, I got my number was Order sixty six. <laughs> Loved it. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed. I'm going back to the first time you see it. Yeah, and you've heard your whole life as a Star Wars fan that Vader helped the Empire and the Emperor specifically hunt down and kill the Jedi. Yep. And it turns out, well, that was jump started by the clones. They now thin the herd. Thin yeah. the herd. Execute Order sixty six. I remember the theater was like, "What is that? What?" Yeah. So I say that to to say that hey, you know, prickles aren't perfect, and that's something I I've never really fully I've accepted it, but I was always like that was a moment I was like, huh, 
But what I can't deny is what came next. When it starts to happen. Yeah. And the clones turn on these people and creatures and, and Jedi that they've been fighting alongside with. And you see it in the Clone Wars. And you read it in some of the novelizations, canon or otherwise, now legends. The Jedi, at first, just thought of these guys as clones, you know, that were just fodder. They were fodder. Yeah, Jedi didn't want to be there. And then they learned of what these clones, these people were doing and the sacrifices they were making and the bonds they formed with each other. And the Jedi kind of followed suit. Yeah. So to see them too, starting with Commander Cody. Yeah. Who, and if you watch the Clone Wars, they do such a good job of Cody and Rex are the big clones and, and Cody and Obi-Wan are there. Yep. And in the beginning, before Obi-Wan t- heads down to Utapau, he's, Utapau, he's, he's, uh, he's talking to Cody. And they have a little friendly jokes between them. Yep. You know, Cody hands him the lightsaber. You forgot this, sir. And then the order comes through. The chip is activated, and it starts there with the the creature, the 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 boga. Uh, boga is the name. Vractal's the Vract- creature. Yeah, boga. Poor boga falls to his death. That starts. It's like what's happening. Yeah. Obi Wan, you know he's not going to go, but this poor creature's dying. So it starts even with that. When animals die, it gets it's bad. Yeah. But then the way it's executed is one of my favorite things of Sith and the prequels and Star Wars at whole. Just it plays out with a good music cue. Um, Ayla Secura, the death was executed a little weird on screen. Yeah. <laughs> Not my favorite. But just the concept of her with her soldiers on Felucia. Uh, Plo Koon being shot out of the sky. Uh, yeah. Sad. This is a guy who discovered and initially trained Ahsoka Tano, who was considered one of the more powerful Jedis. And then um, the one that gets me more than any of them is Kiati Mundi. Right there with you. On my Gito, uh, just that they capture it so well. Silas Carson, the actor, does such a great job in that moment of the feet of the clone stop. And that look Ugh. in his face when he recognizes it, and he gets a couple couple swings in. I'm sorry, it's an emotional st- it's an emotional run. And yeah, we grew up expecting maybe something a little different from yep. this moment. And this one ends controversially with Anakin and the younglings. But I also say Vader marching in with the the five hundred first later on. That's a great image too. It's amazing. All of it is part of this these clones turning on their masters, their generals, and the and, and the Yoda one too. You know Yoda's not going to go, but to see it play out in that kind of vicious way, it's all it's in a big emotional tug, and it and it's worth the price of admission. Absolutely, it is really well uh, done. I was going to say well executed. That's awful. Um, <laughs> I like Order 66. You like, like the number? I like the number. I'm, yeah. like I said, I'm totally fine with it now. You know, there's there's kind of like geek history with numbers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, with like 42 from like the universe and everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, rule 36, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, I might even got that wrong. I can't even remember what the rule is. But, yeah, I, Order 66 just has a, a ring to it. I mean, it's, it it's does. one number short of the sign of the beast. It sure, sounds nasty. Sure. Order 66. Uh, but, yeah, every, you know, and I think... Uh, in terms of rewatching, Wait, do you think they tried other takes? Order seventy eight. Execute order fifty two. That would be amazing with George Lucas. Like, yeah, that line delivery was a little flat, but uh, we'll keep going. But uh, Ian McDermott, I need you to say every number <laughs> every between number. one. Execute order one. <laughs> Execute order one. Yeah, that would have been a little note yeah. on the nose. Order sixty six right. has it has, it has okay. a rhythm to it. In terms of rewatching, mm-hmm. uh, there's also poignancy in the Jedi having gone through this whole war that they didn't want to do. Right. And thinking that they're, they weren't in the middle of the battles. They were in cleanup. Yeah. Because Dooku was dead. Yeah. 
Obi-Wan had just taken out Grievous. Right. All those Jedi were doing were clean up, and they were going to be able to wrap this up and bring back peace. And it even makes it more bittersweet. You were right there. Yeah. And just, yeah, the, the, you're right. The look on Kiati Mundi's face. Yeah. When he realizes the horror, that, that's beautiful and powerful. And some more poetry, uh. as uh, Silas Carson also has a similar look on his face at the very beginning of Phantom Menace <laughs> when he gets blown up on the Radiant 7. Yeah. Yeah. He's the pilot. Yeah. That's right. So that, uh, Silas Carson has given us many great faces of death. He's died three times in Star Wars films. <laughs> yes. Uh, when Newt Gunray goes? Yeah. Yep. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I if that's, is that a record? That's got to be a record. It's got to be a record for Star Wars deaths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three separate character deaths portrayed by one man. Yeah. So Order 66, uh, okay. very powerful. Yeah. The emotional talk, definitely worth it. Uh, it. It gets you going. It gets a little tear down your cheek. But number two. Now, here's where our list gets. Um, we're going to sync up. Yes, yeah, right. You and I share the same number two. And I think people listening might be. I'll just say it would be surprised that this isn't our number one. But there's some yeah. reasons why. But number two is the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise as told at the Mon Calamari Opera House. Yes. And you and I both, we wanted to sync this up. We knew it was going to be in our list. Yeah, of course. It is without a doubt not just the best moment of Sith and the prequels. It is, for me, uh, possibly a top ten. Definitely a top ten. On a a certain day, it might be top five. Yeah. Moments, scenes, uh, sequences in Star Wars. Absolutely. You know, as you've been uh, discussing in Spotlight Star Wars, you know, we're there for the Mm -hmm. wars, we're there for the lore, but sometimes we are there for... The meaty scenes, the mm-hmm. interactions, and Sith is one of the the movies where like Lucas had a lot of fun with Phantom Menace. He had a lot of fun with Attack of the Clones. He threw right. a lot of stuff in, and then Sith, I think, is sometimes better because he realized I have to tell the story of Anakin's fall, mm-hmm. and I need to take my time with it. And that's what is amazing about this scene is that it is uh, it has a lot to give us nerd chills for as Star mm-hmm. Wars fans, mm-hmm. but it is just a well played scene between two actors about seduction Mm -hmm. about one person is knowing and powerful. The other person is vulnerable and doubting. Yeah. And the other, the first person just preys on the second person. And that is, that is horrific. Yeah. And fun to watch as humans. We understand it on a primal level. And that's what makes it seem good when you kind of surrounded by weird details. Yes. But, it's primal. You know, don't right. listen to him, Anakin. Yeah. And as I've said on other things, everything else that happens in the movie, great. You can debate. But that scene shows you why Anakin falls. Absolutely. Does. You got it. Curtain down. Yeah. And I'm one of the people that think that the actual turn later on happens kind of clumsy and fast. And, yeah. Um, though I like some of the moments. I like, uh, henceforth, you'll be Darth Vader. Kind of over the top and silly, but the Emperor's kind of over the top. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, the practically like lion yeah. roars mixed into the background. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm fine with it. But, but I understand like for me, it was like, oh, he, oh, he dropped to his knees. Okay. He's, oh, he's Darth Vader. Okay. But I think part of the reason it happens there. Is because what happens here? Absolutely. It actually, this is the moment. Yeah. And we don't know. The conversation goes on and we're not there for it. So who knows what else was said? Yeah. You know, like from, from the moment. And, and I got to think it's, it's some of uh, McDermott's best work. He kills it in Jedi. Um, but uh, in Sith here, uh, you know, it's, uh, he's over the top a lot again. Uh, unlimited powers, pretty over the top. Super over the top. But I, I think this scene sells it for me. And that line read of not from a Jedi 
when I saw it in the trailers, was, ooh, this is going to yeah. be good. And it still holds up for me today. Yeah. I also like, uh, there's so many nuances to it. Mm-hmm. And Palpatine knows that he is close to reeling Anakin in. He's got him to kill Dooku. He's got yeah. him to confide in him that he slaughtered the Tusken Raiders. He knows he's right. <laughs> right. He right. knows his, his massive plan with the clones is coming to fruition. So he's starting to feel more mm. bold. Yeah. And it's told in little ways. If he's still playing the nice old patriarch would like to give up power when he's done right. but his viciousness is showing the way he turns to the rest of the people in the the ballet box and just says leave us yeah there's that. like a little bit of viciousness yeah. in it yeah in the way he almost seems a little in love with what he's talking about yes but you know it's so quotable too about you know it's like the pathway have- to many <laughs> powers that many find to be unnatural how can i learn these powers um and I got to say, like, like, how long was Palpatine planning this moment? Was he yes. waiting for this moment? Was he feeling this moment? Out? Yeah. Was, Did he have a speech planned in the, was he practicing in the bathroom mirror? Yeah. You know? And is he telling him, here is yeah. how my master and I made you. Yes. I made you to destroy everything you love. Which is another one of the great little wrinkles of the scene is it, is it, it brings into canon this, this fascinating character, which at the time... You know, you see it for the first time in the theater and you're kind of taking it all in. I think it was the second viewing when I kind of was like, oh, Palpatine's like, this is recent history. Yeah. Initially, it was like, oh, you know, I know there's some old Republic stuff I don't really follow as much as other people. Bane, play, oh, this must be one of those guys. I yeah. kind of did, I kind of moved past it. You know, uh, it was the second viewing when I was like, oh, oh, I get it now. And oh. so I love that this introduces this fantastic character that everyone's kind of obsessed with. Yeah. But up until now, this is the only thing really we can go off is Plagueis mentioned here yeah. the book as amazing it is all doesn't count now now it could be brought back in some form like they're doing with thrawn and and the the legend of darth plagueis Gawise could be could be tweaked and to fit the current storyline and i think it will at some point yeah um and i hope lucino gets another shot at doing it but i just love i love that moment i love the mention i love the lore this is when lore really kicks in for me and i yeah. do like it just as much as war yeah and in this whole scene, he sort of encapsulates what the Sith philosophy is, what the yes. rule of two is, what the idea of just wanting more power and the structure of the apprentice is always going to try to kill the master. So it's right. like a short little master class if you want to go super nerdy on Star Wars of he's telling him what the Sith are, how they're structured, what they believe, yeah. all boiled into this list like, oh, by the way, helpful story. Yeah. It really brings into the play the points of view. Yes. And if and if we're going to always make jokes and references to a certain point of view, and now that's in the Journal of the Wills journal, uh, um, like, uh, there's moments here when I, uh, I can kind of, there's moments throughout actually all of Sith, but there's moments where you, you listen to Palpatine, and I could kind of come out on the side of, yeah, the Jedi were the bad guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the great things about Sith yeah. is that, you can see why Anakin is legitimately frustrated mm-hmm. with the Jedi or feels like they haven't treated him well at all. Right. And I, this is one of the moments I think Hayden Christensen plays well, that he's parodying mm-hmm. what he has been taught to believe. Yeah. That the Jedi are selfless. Yeah. And Palpatine's like, that's just what you tell yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you don't need to be like that. That's just a dumb point of view. And I was rewatching the Clone Wars... Um episodes of the citadel where anakin re- uh, rescues tarkin yeah and there's some great moments and they're talking and and 
Tarkin says, comes out and kind of says some stuff against the Jedi, and, oh, I'm sorry, Anakin, I probably offended you. And Anakin's like, no, actually, I can kind of see your point. Yeah, and it's all about the Jedi holding back too much, that yeah. they could win the war if they were they could, fierce they could do and this. vicious. So yeah. And I was watching that uh, just this morning, and it was like, oh, that's that really ties into this. Anakin's already feeling that stuff, and, and that's why the turn, once you put it all together and all the canon content together and all the story together, he the turn isn't as fast as it seems. No, it's it, been building and building and building. It plays out fast for sure, but this, and it all comes here in this moment. And, and the points of view, because, you know, there's there's a lot of things about points of view. Uh, Padme saying, eh, Anakin, if we ever thought we're on the wrong side, yeah. Dooku, as we've talked about before in the last episode, uh, you know, essentially you know the first rebel if you kind of look at it from a, a, a certain, certain point angle. of view yeah yeah um so that and that really plays out here where you could see palpatine kind of like you're like okay yeah i'm listening yeah yeah what do you got what do you got old man yeah my my final thing like because i could go on and on about this scene but one of the things that i deeply love about it is it's mm-hmm. one of the more important scenes in all of star wars lore right. it is one of the better uh, written perform scene it is rich with lore it's just a great scene between two characters so it's got all this star wars depth and philosophy Mm -hmm. but star wars is always just a little bit weird and silly at the same time Mm -hmm. they are i looked this up to make sure uh because it's it's an it's often described as an opera house but it is a ballet they're seeing Mm -hmm. it's a mon calmary ballet and it is called squid lake (laughs) so while all of this intense amazing powerful Uh, stuff is happening Oh, they are watching Squid Lake. I did not know that till this moment in my life. I've lived <laughs> nearly 41 years without this knowledge. And now you have it. Now I have it. That is our number two. And you're right. We could go on and on and on. And uh, it's a great scene worthy of that discussion. But we're going to go with our number ones. As always, I want my guests to close out the show with their number one. So I'll start with my number one. And that is this brings, and this is stuff we've kind of already discussed whether it be in Star Wars Ranked or other discussions of the prequels. Yeah. Uh, but it really all ties together in here, much like Mace learning he's right until the bitter <laughs> end. Uh, Palpatine's long trap kind of being set here and sprung here on, on all sides, not just with, with Vader, but with the, the Republic as well. But the number one for me is the life lesson of attachment. And it does go into this uh, area that we also just mentioned with the Plagueis where I can almost see why Anna can turn. Yeah. And it is a lesson of your attachment to people, to aspirations, and to your desires. Now, those in and of themselves aren't bad things. We should be maybe loyal and care about people on an individual and large basis. But, Joseph, I've learned in my life attachment to certain unhealthy people or certain unhealthy notions can lead to your destruction. Um, Attachment to aspirations that can become so consuming that you lose yourself in it. That can be bad. This is deeper spiritual stuff. And an attachment to your desires. Um, I do have kind of a spiritual upbringing, so there is something in the, the that of, like, give yourself up to something bigger than you are, not your own desires, not your own plan. Right. And Anakin fell because he couldn't p- separate himself or step out of his own way uh, with his attachments to these these little childhood fears, uh, which that's where a lot of it sets in for us, you know? Yeah. And, and to me, what Lucas did do very well when you actually tell a story is when Vader falls, Anakin falls and becomes Vader, in a weird way, that is this little eight-year-old, nine-year-old kid, Annie, 
still there falling. It's still him upset that he can't do anything about his mother, that he can't do anything about slavery, that he can't do anything about Sebulba. It seems kind of silly to say, but it plays out. It is that moment. Yeah. It is that character. And and the comics does uh, has, has had a chance to do, with the Vader comics specifically, with interesting flashbacks. And you have Anakin flashing back to Padme and, and events of the prequels and some of the comics. And again, because this st- stuff, this is why Joseph and I want you to rewatch some of these movies because they're here to stay. Yeah. For good or bad. <laughs> and there is some bad. There's a lot of bad, but there's a lot of good too. And this story, uh, the story of Vader and, and, and the lesson of this deep-seated, sometimes unhealthy attachment. He loved Padme but couldn't let her go to the bitter end, to the point where it killed her and i've had to learn that too sometimes there's a power in letting go and an attachment can be a date because attachment is sometimes to me different than like i said up top loyalty yeah or just a different kind of love it's almost an obsession yeah and anakin was obsessed with these things to the bitter end where it nearly destroyed him and destroyed his family and destroyed the galaxy at large and it plays out in a big moral play here and it comes to a head here in sith absolutely and i think in terms of rewatching it uh it is well told in like yoda tries to tell anakin to let things go. And what Yoda says seems kind of cold. Mm-hmm. So you can see from Anakin's perspective, like that's right, not right. helpful advice. I tried to do the right thing. I tried to get the advice. But then it, the, the movie really plays out. It's not that he loves Padme so selflessly he can't imagine something mm-hmm. happening to Padme. Mm-hmm. He can't imagine losing her. Correct. So it is about him and not about her. And that becomes very key and interesting, I think. True yeah. of 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 real love. It, you're you're putting a fine point on what I'm trying to say, and I appreciate it because that is kind of it. Where it's like, yeah, sometimes you just have to trust another person, or trust that life's going to happen, or have some faith. And I and I you know I don't struggle from anxiety as much as other people do, but letting anxiety is fear of the future. And Anakin had some crazy anxiety <laughs> coming out in these dreams. And you're right, it was more about him. Because I bet if Padme said, "Guess what? You're a little weird. We're breaking up." It would it might have caused his falls just as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because he can't control him for his desires, and that's what I mean. Attachment to your desires. I'm all about getting you what you want out of life and following your dreams and following your goals. But sometimes attachment to certain how you see it or how you want it, when sometimes it's about how it just should happen, that can lead to dark, depressing areas. It has for me. Yeah. Yeah, Yoda tells him that it begins with fear, and he is just afraid of losing. The other thing that I think is really important about Mm -hmm. your great attachment point is I think sometimes people can watch Revenge of the Sith and just say, oh, this is kind of depressing or weird or upsetting, but it is also just the first part of this story and how Anakin treats attachment and treats love of people in his life is uh, a part of the story that then gets told with Luke. Yeah. And that's... It makes the original trilogy more powerful mm-hmm. that Luke finds a way to be truly loving and say to Obi-Wan and Yoda, mm-hmm. who are just like, you should probably kill your pops. Yeah. He's, that Luke finds a way to make attachment be a positive. Right. Of like, Luke uh, Luke says, Leia and Han support me. I yeah. need to support them. Right. Friendship matters. Friendship makes me more powerful. Mm. And, you know, I'm going to be selfless in my love of... of my father. Right. And Revenge of the Sith and all of Anakin's torture with attachment is the beginning of that story. Right. And it only makes the end of that story, I think, more powerful in offering an, an example of balancing 
mm-hmm. your love of others. So it is, it is truly balanced. It's not about you. Yeah. It's not all, all martyrdom about them. Yeah. But a true, like, give and take love. Love, which is, yeah, the true, real, realistic nature of love versus yeah. just, uh, you know, our own uh, our own ideas of what it should be with a certain person getting in the way, too. So, yeah. so that's my number one. It's, a- it is, it's bigger and it's out there and it's, you know, you have to kind of... You know, be beware of the force and all the things about it. It's a deep thing, but yeah. uh, I think it is there in Revenge of the Sith. I think it's there through the prequels as well, but it really, you feel it here. Yeah, that is a great number one. Your number one, though, sir. Is something that we already touched on briefly, mm-hmm. which is a certain point of view. Oh, yes. Yes. So, obviously, we've all uh, made jokes about Obi-Wan's loose relationship with the truth, uh, starting from Return of the Jedi, where we're introduced to the line, a certain point of view. Right. But this is the movie where it becomes an important theme in Star Wars, right. like you were talking about. It gets kind of played with in The Phantom Menace when Qui-Gon just says kind of offhandedly, like, remember, your focus determines your reality. Right. He's just telling Anakin that. Anakin's a confused kid. Like, <laughs> great. Thanks for the Hallmark card, <laughs> weird guy with the hair. What are midi-chlorians, yeah. sir? Yeah, what are... In, in my focus... Det- oh. Okay. okay. I don't think that really hit home to Anakin, yeah. but we, yeah. the viewers, can see, like, well, your focus determines your reality is can another I, way to say it. Can I point pod race now? <laughs> I just really like it. Can I fly yeah. a ship? Can I make more necklaces for the girl who's older than me? Yeah, it's not where his mind was at. Yeah. The idea gets introduced, but, oh, man, do we drill down on it. You, you were sharing some great examples mm-hmm. in the the whole Darth Plagueis scene. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some certain point of view of, like, well, yeah. the Jedi look at it this way. Well, the Sith look at it this way. Well, they're right. both kind of full of crap uh, from a certain point of view. But it gets so locked in in those final moments with Obi-Wan and Anakin mm-hmm. where uh, Anakin literally says, from my point of view, the Jedi yeah. are evil. And it is that moment where... Uh, Anakin has done horrible things yeah. at that point in the movie. You know, his eyes have turned unnaturally yellow. Yeah. He's evil. <laughs> He's gone. But in that moment where he says, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, you're like, well, why? Yeah. Just because they rescued you and left your mom on a slavery planet to die when they could have easily done something, but they just <laughs> decided not to? Okay, when they encouraged love, but they made you hide your relationship with this person, and she's pregnant, and you kind of want the order to die so you can just have your kids in your life with your wife why like so i mean it movie the the whole trilogy presents like you see the jedi's perspective of they have an order they have a system they have a logic they have a reason they have concerns right uh but then you see anakin's perspective and in that one line it all kind of boils up and that uh obi-wan uh says you know well you are truly lost and i feel like um in these in these moments in this movie where it crystallizes the certain point of view, mm-hmm. it it offers you both a positive and negative view of what from a certain point of view means. Right. Because on the one hand, it can just be used as bullshit. Yeah. To justify what you're doing. Sure. Because no matter how much you walk down like the logic of like, well, the empire is just really about order. Yeah. And well, you know, Palpatine actually was the legitimate government figure, and you. Did yep. try to walk into his office and <laughs> kill him for resisting arrest. That's right. not really right. cool. Right. Uh, you can kind of justify the empire, but yeah. ultimately, by the majority of moral codes we have on humans, yeah. th- the empire is evil. Palpatine yes. is evil. Palpatine is evil. Anakin yeah. murders children and chokes his wife. Right. He is doing evil. Yeah. So on one side, his, from a certain point of view, is like, 
You, that's just the thing you are Bonk. saying to yeah. justify yourself. But on the other hand, from a certain point of view, is arguing everybody does have a different point of view. Right. And if we could try to see things from more people's point of view, we can be more open and more empathetic and not as locked in. And that is obviously going to lead to more understanding. Right. So I feel like it, it floats this big theme that yeah. sounds kind of dumb and jokey from a certain point of view. Yeah. And then also encourages you to think about it in multiple different ways. Right. And that to right. me is just... It's powerful. And and a certain point of view, it, it's just become such a pop culture thing. We say it here every episode probably. Absolutely. I say it so much in my regular <laughs> life. But, yeah, there, there's something really deep and big behind it, and it would make sense that, again, kind of Sith brings it all, and, and it's kind of the center of the trilogy in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, original trilogy fans. I am too. But it is a six-part story, and this is that emotional hook. So it makes sense that all these things should really kind of come up and be in the forefront in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Sith is deep, man. Absolutely. We just turned Sith into a very deep life lesson movie. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, you, you just it, you can go, keep going down the rabbit hole. Uh, only Sith deal in absolutes is an absolute. <laughs> Was that a mistake? Or is that actually commentary <laughs> that Obi-Wan is so angry he doesn't understand that what he's saying is right. an, actually an absolute? <laughs> it's endless. Oh, It's endless. You had some close calls. What are some other close uh, call scenes, Joseph? Uh, just, uh, just Palpatine dialogue. He's got some of, some of my favorite lines that do it. Do it. Do it is great. I am the said it. Yeah. Oh, so many great lines. Uh, I think this one doesn't have some of the big goony humor that people mm-hmm. didn't like in yeah. Phantom Menace in, you know, Attack of the Clones has the, the C-3PO battle droid right. head body switch. There's nothing like that. So yeah. if you're not into the goony humor, no, this is the prequel movie for you. I also just like Utapau. I mean, Utapau is good. Yeah, it's a cool. The aliens got a cool design. I like yeah. sinkhole planets. <laughs> sinkhole planets. You're you're a fan of sinkhole planets. <laughs> I'm a fan of sinkhole planets. Yeah. yeah. So some some honorable mentions to throw out there. Absolutely, there is a lot there, and uh, that is our list. Our top five, really ten reasons. Well, nine this time around <laughs> of Star Wars ranked. And uh, look, uh, we we Joseph and I we do love those Star Wars prequels, like we keep saying. We're proud prequelists, and we want you. We we appreciate you already, folks. If you've listened with an open eye and an open ear and an open heart. And there's been some people that have tweeted to us, hey, I rewatched it again based on what you said. And you know what? I still don't like this. I still don't like that. But you're right about this. And it's not about us being right. No. Joseph and I just, we like, we like the gift of celebration in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Just try to find the things that can bring you joy because it is Star Wars and it's not going anywhere. So just, yeah. you know, try to see it from the most positive point of view. <laughs> from our point of view and yours. But uh, that is it. That brings to close our three-part series here on Star Wars Ranked of the top five reasons to rewatch The Phantom Menace, Attack the Clones, and here today, Revenge of the Sith. So you can do us a favor and uh, spread the word and join the conversation. You can follow uh, the podcast feed at Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Star Wars Ranked. Tell us some of your favorite moments for uh, Revenge of the Sith and uh, in the prequel at large. Uh, and uh, spread the word, uh, you know, Get the word out here. There's other prequelists out there. Let's connect. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully these will have uh, inspired a little bit of uh, hope. 
for the prequels. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we are on iTunes. You can subscribe, rate, and review there. We're trying to get those ratings of our podcast to the 150 number. So if you got a moment, you haven't already, do us a favor, review, and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're on Podomatic and Stitcher as well. We have a Facebook page. Like us there. You're going to get some exclusive Star Wars Celebration live feed coverage from uh, there. I'm not necessarily saying inside the panels. I'll be there for Star Wars Celebration, working for Collider Video and, and Collider Jedi Council, but I'm going to also be using my time when I can to use the Facebook page to uh, stream some reactions to some of the stuff going on at Star Wars Celebration. You can follow me at Cadnapsock and Joseph, you can be followed. On all the social media is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, and follow along for any comedy adventures, live shows, and whatever. And I'm trying to be better at mentioning on the Star Wars podcast that I have a Star Wars comedy album called Rebel Scum. It's got a lot of juicy jokes about a certain point of view. So you can find that on josephscrimshaw.com. Absolutely love it. That is it for Joseph, for Padme, for Anakin, for Darth Plagueis the Wise, and of course, Jar Jar Binks. We'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.